Good to have you here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. So much to get to on this Wednesday. It is National Signing Day, and we will have you covered there uh, from our standpoint, BJ and Ben, from a number of local young men who have signed uh, here on the first Wednesday in February to play at the next level. Of course, you have the early signing period uh, in December, and then, of course, this is the traditional signing day in February, and still a number of young men signing on the dotted line to go play at the next level. We'll have some of that for you coming up throughout the show. We'll talk to a number of young uh, student-athletes who are going to move on to the next level. I know it's just a, uh, a, a fun day uh, for a lot of folks, for, for young men uh, fulfilling their dream to play at the next level, for moms and dads watching their, uh, their, their sons uh, sign to go play uh, at the next level and get an opportunity to continue to do what they love doing and get a, a, an education on top of that. Uh, as well. So we'll get to that uh, coming up throughout the show. We'll touch base with various student-athletes here on the show. Also, we'll check in uh, and talk about what's happened at the collegiate level. Big day still for Georgia. I know a lot of times, BJ and Ben, we said, hey, early signing period for the big schools, that's pretty much it. And for Georgia, that was true, but you still got a couple of big-time commitments today. Christian Miller was one of those. We'll talk to Dane Young, UGASports.com. He will join us. Texas A&M maybe signed the best, BJ can help me with it. Is it the best class ever? Certainly the best Texas A&M class ever. But seven uh, said it's their highest ranked class ever. So there you go. Everybody's got to have the best ever. This year it could be Texas A&M. Mark Passwaters, AggieL.com will join us, and we'll just talk about that and what it means moving forward. Also, final hour, Tommy Bowden, former Clemson head coach. He'll talk about the recruiting and signing day and just what it means as a coach to go through this process from the coach's side of things. Also, David Waters, Gators Breakdown. Uh, apparently a lot of good things happening for Billy Napier here on signing day and SEC teams littered all throughout the top 20 in terms of overall signing classes. We'll hear some uh, some audio from Clay Helton, uh, his uh, first full signing day. Now he had the early signing period, now the signing day there at Georgia Southern. We'll get some comments from him as Georgia Southern landed a four-star running back. We'll hear from him also, Russell DeMossi at Savannah State. We'll hear some comments from him at uh, their press conference on a big day if you followed Savannah State guys from all over the 912 and really made it a priority to recruit uh, the 912 footprint and certainly did a lot of that here on signing day. So we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. And, of course, just the uh, the bombshell of a uh, lawsuit uh, facing the National Football League from Brian Flores. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. But but, but Ben, I always say uh, when, it, when it comes to this, you go back to your signing day, you said, look, didn't have nearly the fanfare that all these uh, young men have now with – you know, full school press conferences and some guys getting on ESPN. But uh, as you've long said on the show, from a player standpoint, opportunity for these young men to continue doing what they love and and sign to go to go on, whether it's you know FBS, FCS, D two, or what have you. Yeah, Kevin. I mean, I think you said it best. I mean, twenty two years ago, man, it's already been twenty two years ago. Uh, sitting in my uh, you know high school library, myself, Carlos Rogers. Uh, you know, Isaac West being able to sign to, you know, Florida, Auburn, Furman, it's humbling. It's humbling back then. It's humbling right now because you didn't, un- you know, me being 17 years, 17 years old, naive, not really understanding what I'm signing, but understanding that, you know, it's so many people that, that, that had to do that had a lot to do with me being able to sign that. It's, it's just, it's a surreal moment because you realize it didn't matter to me about stars. It didn't matter to me about All-Americans, prep stars. It didn't matter to me about, back then it was USA Today All-Americans. I just wanted to be one of those guys and just to see the look on my parents' face, the look on Carlos Rogers and Isaac West family's uh, parents' face for me, my teammates, coaches. 
uh, guidance counselors, you know, so many people. So it's humbling, man, because you, you did it. And when you realize the odds you had to overcome just to be in this very, very small pool, 7% of high school athletes, all sports, you know, uh, you know, playing college, and I was one of the ones that made it so it was humbling. And, uh, man, I, listen, I, I, didn't, I didn't make a better decision by not going to Georgia. I just think I made the best decision possible. Uh, and, Kevin, as you said, just a huge congratulations to all of the student athletes, uh, their families, friends, the programs. Uh, great to see so many student athletes sign scholarships. And we will certainly have that for you throughout the uh, the show today as well. We'll talk with a number of student athletes uh, throughout the show uh, as well. But uh, obviously, guys, the the big story from late yesterday was I know you guys touched on it uh, on the show uh, a little bit yesterday. Uh, but you, you kind of find more and more of the details here with Br- Brian Flores suing the NFL and three teams. Uh, alleging racism and hiring practices. Uh, there's a lot to digest. The Broncos, the Giants, the Dolphins, uh, all individually being sued uh, in this lawsuit, alleging uh, discrimination regarding the interview processes uh, and his firing uh, in Miami. A 58-page lawsuit was filed in Manhattan on Tuesday, federal court, uh, and seeks class action status. Well, class action means they are obviously seeking other coaches to sign on to this Um and that's from a story from Marcel Louis Jock. So when you talk about class action, uh, you're talking about more than one person. So I'm not bringing this up to to, to dig at, at you, Ben, but basically when you, we talked about you helped kill college football, NCAA on the Xbox, you were part of a class action lawsuit to receive compensation for being in the game. So that's basically it was you and a bunch of other players involved in that. So that's basically what we're talking about. Uh, if they want it to move to class action, you're going to need more than just Brian Flores to kind of come in and be a part of this thing. Yeah, and I look first and foremost, I I, I applaud uh, Brian Flores because I think some certain times, and BJ, me, you talk about this a lot. We doing it for something. He's doing it for something bigger than just uh, black coaches not being head, co- not getting an opportunity to be head coaches in the National Football League. He's talking about a bigger problem that just happens, and his and his part of it just happens to be in the National Football League. I mean, the, the fact that uh, you know uh, the owner was telling him he's gonna. I'm gonna pay you to lose game to to improve our draft our draft stock. You talk about you know different teams across the National Football League. It's like they laughing in the face. And to add insult to injury, I mean the tight ends coach who the tight ends coach for San Francisco who was responsible for George Kittle was told if he wants to remain on the coaching staff, he has to take a, he has to take a sixty percent pay cut in order to stay on there. So let me get this straight: you got arguably the second best tight end in football to ask you to take a sixty percent pay cut. So it's even it's even happening in the in the assistant you know in, in the assistant coach uh, round. But look, I, I applaud Brian Flores. And the thing about it is, he may never play again. He may never coach again in the National Football League. But so many coaches, so many coaches, not named Brian Flores, that had to go through these coaching cycle, coaching cycles, see it come and go, and you and you realize it. Why is it? Does Eric Bieniemy really not really not interview well? Like, cause now you got to question everything. But I applaud Brian Flores and every every black coach, every non-black coach is even going to be, you know, uh, using you you uh, you uh, deploring their influence when it comes to something like this. I would lo- the problem is though, I would love to say I'm surprised, but Kevin BJ, fortunately, I'm not. No, you're not surprised. Yeah, and and you know this is something where the, the these allegations are extremely troubling, and this is this is unacceptable. And we talked about it yesterday. I mean, one black coach in, in, in the National Football League, and you're talking about guys with incredible resumes. I mean, Eric Bieniemy and, and Ben, I don't know how you go through another hiring cycle with Eric Bieniemy's resume. Byron Lefwich, D'Amico Ryans, Jim Caldwell. And what, what, what Brian Flores is doing is speaking up, saying, hey, 
this is what's happening. This is this is what happened to me. And the idea that he went and had an interview, which was basically they were just doing it to check a box, allegedly, when uh, when you had already made a coaching hire, that's that that's unacceptable. And and I agree with you. This is this is very courageous. Her Christians say that very brave from Brian Flores to 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 address this to demand better. And a class action lawsuit, Kevin, like you said, I I, I think you will see. I think you will see more names. Uh, but but what we've seen is is unacceptable. And Brian Flores addressing uh, racism in the hiring practices. And I think there are a number of things to point to, a number of things that 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 affirm that. And this is now going to uh, a court of law. Uh, this could be a a, a very important point in history when you think about uh, potentially changing things in the National Football League, but just a bombshell report, and and this is this is unacceptable. And again, I think uh, there's a lot to uh, to go over. As we talked about, uh, BJ, there's a lot to, uh, uh, I guess, get into where, obviously, in his lawsuit, he alleges the Giants had already potentially made a hire, and he was kind of like a, a sham interview to fulfill the Rooney rule uh, in there as well, and and one that I, I think is a bigger is a is a big problem. I don't know if it's, it's bigger than than that, but I don't necessarily think uh, Ben. It's uh, when you look at what he alleges the Dolphins owner did. I, I don't know if that's necessarily a black, white, whatever. But if you have an owner that is telling the coach, "I will pay you if you tank games," that is a integrity of the league problem, right? I mean, like you put on games to have a competitive game to produce an outcome that is not scripted. That is, you know. The best team goes out there and wins. I, I think that's a if that is found true. Obviously, Stephen Ross can't own a team. You can't be the owner of a team and physically tell your coach don't win. And if you don't win, I'll give you more money so that you don't win. I think that's a problem with the league. I mean, I, I think you look at all kinds of uh, you know professional leagues. If it came out that I mean, we all knew that the Philadelphia 76ers weren't necessarily trying to win, but if the owner went to the head coach and said, "I will pay you more if you can lose 80 games." That's a problem, right? And so I think that is uh, one of the big things that stands out on top of all the other things uh, that he has alleged in the lawsuit is that if you, I mean, and again, I don't know how you prove this unless you actually received money for, for, for losing a game uh, and you can trace that or there was a second party a privy to the fact that, hey, if we lose, we're all getting paid. How, how you necessarily prove that? But if that is found true, uh, an owner telling his coach to to lose and I'm cool with it, I'll even pay you to lose, uh, that's a problem with uh, with the integrity of the actual game and product of the National Football League. Not only is the problem it's disrespectful, because number one, it, it, it's almost like you saying, "Well, listen, I'm all about this money, man. So what, I got to give you a couple of give you a couple of dollars, man. Go out there and lose for us." Well, okay, we're losing anyway. But this is the thing: you paid me to lose, so is that why you fired me? Because I won at the end of the year. Because because all that stuff is going to come back up. I mean, nobody did what I mean. Uh, nobody did what Brian, uh, uh, Coach Flores did at the end of the year this year, and then he get fired for it. So nobody's ever done what he did in the second half of the season. You should be rewarding him, though. You fire him because of it. We come to find out you was paying him to lose. I'm just trying to tell you guys, it is it, it is impossible to tank in the National Football League, even when you're getting paid to do it. Disrespectful to Brian Flores. I've heard about Stephen Ross a long time. They say he one of the worst owners to ever ever. Uh, you know, uh, uh, coach under play under and you seeing this Brian Flores man look sometimes you gonna listen you doing the right thing don't mean you're gonna get doesn't mean people gonna celebrate you but I'm telling you what he's doing right now I hope it shakes up the entire national football league well I mean it certainly has uh obviously it's what 
Uh, the league has responded to it. You've had individual teams uh, respond to it. And, and again, I think it makes you take a hard look at what maybe is a well-intentioned rule, the Rooney rule, and say, is there a better way to do it, right? Other than say you're going to mandate a, a guy. And again, Ben, you've talked about that. Look, all you want is a seat. But again, I think it's, are you mandating that you talk to me or do you actually want to talk to me? And I think that's where, how do you kind of accomplish two things without doing that? And so I think, how do you look at the intentions of the Rooney rule and say, how do you actually make sure that happens where it's not a, well, you're fulfilling the requirements to hire this guy. And in order for you to hire this guy, you must do this, this, and this. How do you kind of impact that and, and evaluate that rule and say, is there a better way or a modification of that so that, you can get rid of the, quote, sham interviews that, that obviously are out there. Number one, look, let me say this about the Rooney Rule because I, I want people to know this. Black people never ask for no Rooney Rule. Rooney knows guys, and it's, and, and it's good intention. Just know this, Kevin, BJ, I have a company, and I'm, only, and I'm only giving you an interview because of a rule. That sounds like I don't even want you. I'm only doing it because of the rule. So all I'm saying is it looks like the people you're interviewing aren't qualified. They just look a certain way, and this is a rule that I want to make look like. That's perception. It's not reality. No. If I want Kevin, Kevin Thomas and B.J. Bennett, it's because I think y'all the best for what I'm doing. Not because, hey, man, you got to hire some white guys. What's happening nonsense is that you got to, you got to give a couple of white guys some interviews, Ben. You got, it's, it's too dark around here. What the hell is going on? It's like I appreciate our running. I appreciate it. But think about this. You're trying to make it seem as if the people aren't qualified. They might be the most qualified. But yet, because of a rule, I say this, and I'm going to say it again. That's an opportunity. That's not getting a job. That's interviewing for the job. Getting a job is getting a job. I went on a bunch of interviews before, and I've heard no before. But if somebody got me in here because of a rule, come on, man. That's saying that without the rule, because even with the rule, you ain't hurting me. I, you ain't even giving me a chance without it. I appreciate Art Rooney's uh, intentions. But in 2022, we have one black coach. Let's show you how effective the rule actually is. We've got more to come, and we'll certainly we'll see how this continues to play out. Uh, obviously, it's uh, all over the National Football League today, trying to get responses from the league and see where this thing is uh, is going. We'll continue to follow that as it continues to develop. But obviously, uh, Brian Flores has got a lawsuit filed against the National Football League and three teams in the NFL, the Broncos, Dolphins, and the Giants. It is National Signing Day today as well. We'll hear from a lot of local athletes as they put pen to paper uh, today to play at the next level. We'll start to hear from some of those young men when we return. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Good to have you here, three and out on this Wednesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're making us a part of your day, National Signing Day. Uh, part of it uh, today, BJ and uh, and Ben, and we've seen guys all over uh, sign to, uh, to to move on and play at the uh, the next level. And this is to piggyback on top of what was a pretty big early signing uh, day period, uh, BJ and uh, and Ben. So uh, February first Wednesday in February has been another big one as we've seen kids from all up and down the nine one two continue to sign again. You have to put this disclaimer out there for folks who haven't followed it as intently as this is just the first day of the regular signing period. The early signing period day is three days. That's all you get. You sign in those three days or you don't, you wait until today. And today is the first of what an unlimited of signing days, right? You can, you have between now and basically the, the time you need to enroll in school to sign from this point moving forward. So this kind of opens up uh, that period, but obviously on the first day, most people want to go ahead and uh, and lock it in and, and know where they want to go, and so they, that's how this became what it was. And it's incredible to see. You know, so many student-athletes have these opportunities. Uh, I know, uh, Christian, you were talking with Dennis Knight. I mean, all, all over the 912, you're seeing student-athletes sign and, uh, to various levels all over the country, not just local programs or regional programs, but all over the country, and so much hard work uh, uh, on the field, off the field, in the classroom, and uh, just a testament to all that hard work, and it's great to see. But as you said, yeah. Kevin, you could have tomorrow, you could have the day, you, you could have in a couple of weeks, uh, even scholarships still be signed. Mm-hmm. So you have the early signing period pre-Christmas. You have this, and then this is just the start of what is all yeah, yeah. right, right, all the way until fall camp starts. So yeah, so a busy day out there today. A busy day at uh, Jenkins. They had four young men signed: D'Angelo Hall or D'Angelo Shepard, excuse me, going to Shaw. Larry Johnson going to Hutchinson. Uh, Community College, Trey Brown going to Hutchinson Community College, and our next guest, I had a chance to speak with him, Ashton Jackson from Jenkins going to Hutchinson as well. work uh, on the field off the field to get to that point but uh, you're headed west with a couple of your teammates what's that like to move on to the next level with a couple of guys that you've spent the last few years playing high school football with it's amazing because we already have the connection and and, and, and bond that we need to get to higher levels and a dedication and the work ethic to be better than what we are and go further than what we already are and Ashton, talk about uh, that high school career there at uh, at Jenkins. I know, obviously, your senior class is, uh, has seen a lot. A couple of different uh, coaching staffs had to be flexible. How do you think that kind of shaped you as a football player? I mean, it's everything really just a mindset. You've got to be re- uh, ready for whatever comes with the sport. Uh, you're not going to have the uh, same head coach every, every year. Uh, your, whole, your whole life is always going to change. You play offensive, defensive line, a uh, chance to play in the trenches at the next level. Talk about that opportunity, not only to go play college football, but uh, to play right there where it all starts at the highest level at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, can't wait. It, it's going to be fun. Can't wait to uh, get out there and compete. Hard work, dedication. Ashton Jackson joining us here on 3 and Out. Ashton, really appreciate the time. Congratulations. I know you and uh, your teammates going to enjoy Hutchinson, and we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Have a nice day. He signed there uh, at Jenkins uh, there earlier 
uh, this afternoon. And uh, his teammate also going to be uh, headed out there to uh, Hutchinson uh, Community College. Joining us, uh, Trey Brown, stepping in here with us on 3 and Out. And joining us here on 3 and Out from Jenkins High School, signing today uh, with Hutchinson Community College. Uh, Trey Brown at Jenkins joining us. Trey, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, talk about this day and uh, and the recruiting process that, that that led up to this moment, and uh, how how good does it feel to to kind of be done with it and know where you're going here? I mean, it's a great feeling. It was it was very stressful in the beginning, but it's a great feeling that I finally signed to a place that I like and I feel like it's at home. So it's a blessing. Trey, reflect on your high school career for us. I know a lot of work on the field, off the field, uh, to get to this point to be able to sign a college scholarship. I loved it. It's it's not – you don't really get this feeling every day. It's a one-time thing, but I feel like it, it's the best thing for me. The college is – high school was fun, but now I'm on the bigger and better things. Trey Brown from Jenkins joining us here and uh, going to uh, Hutchinson out in, uh, in Kansas, going with a couple of your uh, your teammates. Uh, talk about that, going to continue your career, and you get to do it with a couple of guys you played your high school ball with. Uh, it's good. We we got a brotherhood going on, so I feel like when we go up there, we're all going to shine the way we're supposed to shine. Talk about yourself as a playmaker, Trey. I know you can do a number of different things on the football field. What type of skill set are you bringing to Hutchinson? Um, I can go up and get any ball. <laughs> I'm a dog on the field. I like to, I like to do a lot of things. I'm a good route runner. I got speed. I got height. So I think I'm just like, I'm a big aspect to the team. Any team I go to. Absolutely. And uh, Trey Brown joining us here going to uh, Hutchinson Community College along with Ashton Jackson and Larry Johnson there from Jenkins. Trey, really appreciate the time. Congratulations and certainly uh, best of luck to you as you head out to uh, to Hutchinson to play at the next level. Thanks so much. Thank you. Busy day there at uh, Jenkins as they uh, move on to the next level. And again, uh, New Hampstead uh, with a couple of folks. Uh, Caden Sonnabin signing with VMI. Tyler Cooper going to Savannah State. Uh, Richmond Hills had quite a few islands. Had a young man, Tavari Bruton, going to uh, Savannah State as well. Cam Edge and Holden Sapp uh, from Benedictine going to Army. Jacoby Gatson going to the Citadel. Uh, George Futch going to Lenore Ryan. So we have a number of guys uh, who are uh, signing to move on to the next level. It's been a busy day up and down uh, the coast. And again, congratulations to uh, to those young men. And again, we've, we've seen the the recruiting still getting done. And, and BJ and Ben, we, we talked about this an early signing day, you said, oh, well, you know, Georgia and Alabama and all that. No, Georgia, Texas A&M and company all still signing kids today. I mean, Kevin, I mean, I, th- I think I think uh, what happens is in a situation like this, I mean, Kevin and BJ, am I the only one, Kevin, am I the only one that, that have to realize we're talking to high schoolers? These boys are way too, too <laughs> they too professional. They too, like, poised. I mean, they saying things like, oh, I, I can go up and get the ball. I'm a dog. And, hey, man, you're not going to have the same head coach every day. I'm an asset to a team. I'm like, who are these kids? When I was coming out, they didn't even – all my questions were, uh, yeah, no, uh-huh. So I'm very, very impressed by them. And what I like about it is, too, Kevin and BJ, is it's not always about going to Florida and Georgia, Clemson and South Carolina, Georgia Tech. It's about going – you know, he said, look, man, he, they said, quote, look, man, high school was fun, <laughs> but I'm on to bigger and better things. I 
I can feel that energy coming from these young men. Super duper happy for them. Super duper impressed by them. But to have kids that, that have gone through some level of adversity in, in, in high school already that embrace that then, oh, these kids are going to be big time players at the next level. Yeah, we got uh, one more young man joining us here from Benedictine, Jacoby Gadsden going to the Citadel. Jacoby, welcome to 3 and Out. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? Hey, we're doing fantastic. Congratulations on uh, signing with the Citadel. What was it about uh, that program that, uh, that led you to sign there? I said, what was it about uh, the Citadel that uh, led you to, to decide to play football there? Uh, the Brotherhood is a lot like BC, BC there. Um, I like the structure a lot, and Coach Thompson, he's a real straight-up person. He's just like Coach Brett, so that played a good impact on it. So that's why really the, it's really the same thing as BC, so I like it a lot there. What was, uh, what was this process like for you? Uh, how, how long did it take you to make a decision? And uh, how would you describe, I guess, going through the recruiting process? Uh, it's, it's real hard. Like, um, like after the season, my recruit, recruitment started picking up a lot. Like, during it wasn't really picking up. And I was just waiting, like, to find, a, like, where I felt like I was at home at. So I waited a lot. And then I went on my official to the Citadel. Got to meet a lot of people, and I could just, like, feel the bond that I felt, like, wanted there by all the players and everything. And we, I mean, I know BJ kind of touched on it a little bit, but to finally be able to say it's over, I did it, I'm going to the Citadel, don't know about, listen, my recruitment is over, no more text messages, no more DMs, it's done. Sir? I said, when I said uh, no more text messages, no more DMs, it's done, my recruitment is officially over, I'm going to play for the Citadel. Yes, sir. Jacoby Gadsden joining us here on 3 and Out. Jacoby, hey, we really appreciate you coming on, spending a few moments with us. Best of luck to you as you move forward to the Citadel. Congratulations. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. Jacoby Gadsden joining us here on 3 and Out. And, uh, again, busy day there at BC. His teammate, uh, Holden Sapp, uh, joins us here on uh, 3 and Out. He's headed up to play for Jeff Munkin and Army. Holden, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? Hey, doing fantastic. Uh, going to, uh, to to Army, I know that's been something that has been a decision of yours for, for quite some time. What's it uh, been like to finally go ahead and be able to put that on paper and, uh, and and have it over and done with? Oh, it feels so good. And just my whole senior year felt great. You know, winning the state championship, getting uh, some awards and accomplishments, and now finally getting the sign is, is big. I was going to say, Holden, describe that process for a lot of folks. So coming into your senior year, obviously, a lot of folks say, hey, what am I going to do uh, after high school football? Is opportunities out there. You guys were on a team that was talking about going and playing for a state championship. What has the last four to five months kind of been like? One, trying to focus on that and say, hey, there's there's football maybe after this football and, and then trying to figure out what was going on there. Obviously, going to Army, what has that kind of ride been like? Yeah, it's been uh, amazing. I mean, just getting to play with my teammates and win a state championship my senior year, it's awesome. And, you know, I play for my brothers. I play for the dude beside me. And that's a big thing at West Point. They play for each other, not, you know, for them. So, Talk about the recruiting process. I mean, we see it from the outside looking in, but what's it like going through it and how do you weigh all of these all of these factors? You know, you just got to look in at uh, the coaches. You, you take visits, you go on. And when I went and visited West Point, it was just amazing. The coaches are amazing. I get to serve and protect my country. So that's a, a big plus for me. I mean, and I and I mean, I know you've been practicing already, but how many times have you said beat Navy? 
Prerequisite before you sign the paper, you got to be able to to do that. Holden Sap joining us here on Three and Up. Holden, really appreciate it, man. Congratulations, headed up to uh, to West Point. We appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Holden Sap joining us here. Busy signing day all up and down the coast. We've got more to come. It's Three and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
This is former University of Georgia quarterback John Lastinger. You're listening to 3 and Out with B.J., Ben, and Kevin. Good to have you here, 3 and Out, on this Wednesday, National Signing Day. Kevin, B.J., and Ben, glad you are with us here. And, again, we talked about all the signings that Georgia and Alabama and all those folks did on early signing day. Georgia goes out today and really uh, lands some good players uh, that were still out there on the board. Christian Miller, a four-star, uh, ranked 102 nationally, number 14 defensive lineman uh, in the country. Uh, he signs Darius Smith out of uh, Baxley. Uh, he signs four-star uh, edge rusher uh, out of Appling County, signed with Georgia today. So uh, a couple of those guys uh, were still out there. Uh, Ernest Green, uh, inside uh, interior offensive lineman, four-star, number two nationally ranked interior offensive lineman out of John St. John Bosco in California. Uh, a five-star edge rusher, Marvin Jones Jr. out of Fort Lauderdale, number two edge rusher in the country. These are all guys that signed today uh, at the University of Georgia, and they still, you say, man, there's a lot. They still didn't get the number one class. Texas A&M got statistically the number one class ever, according to the math. Well, listen, as BJ, as, yeah, I know you like the math. A lot of teams recruiting really well, and Ben, I know your your, your Florida Gators uh, made a big jump. But I think when you look at who's dominating in recruiting, and these certainly aren't aren't new names. I mean, you're accustomed to this, but really seems like as uh, the conversation started during the early signing period, it's Texas A&M, it's Georgia, and it's Alabama, and that's no surprise. Uh, but I, I I think these programs are really solidifying themselves as annual national championship contenders. And certainly when you're Georgia, uh, after the early signing period, as if Georgia needed any extra help recruiting, I mean, now you can go pitch as the defending national champions uh, for a couple of weeks. But I think Texas A&M has a class that, again, as we mentioned at the top of the show, per 247's metrics, this is the highest rated class ever. The highest rated class ever. Uh, but Georgia, not far behind. Alabama, not far behind. But Wasn't uh, Alabama's last year the highest rated ever? So. And then the one before that was the highest rated? I believe rated? so, but been Georgia, especially on defense. I mean, Georgia, the way the Bulldogs recruit on defense, they are they are the college football standard. Yeah, BJ and Kevin, and look, let's let, let just call it what it is. The best, the best, the best product you're going to have going for you is what they see on Saturdays. And if you were watching Georgia last year and you don't want to play defense for Georgia, then you don't like football. And and, and that doesn't mean I don't want uh, players to go to Florida. I just understand what it is. The greatest momentum you have is the last time people saw you play. And the last time we saw Georgia, one, they was beating Alabama. Two, they only lost to Alabama this year. And three, they hosting up a national championship trophy. So right now, even though Alabama is going to come to SEC Media Days, Kevin and BJ saying we won the SEC. Well, take this out. The last time Georgia lost the national championship, they won the SEC. So they just flipped it. So I think that when you look at the product on the field, yes, Georgia, I mean, Kirby Smart makes sure they get the best players out of the state. And and, and if it comes down to you getting a player and, and, and they got to pick between you, Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia. I'm sorry, man. You competing for fourth. I don't care who you are. So, yeah, George, surprise, surprise. Georgia's getting a really, really good recruiting class. That's been Kirby Smart's claim to fame since he since he uh, since he stepped uh, since he stepped off the plane in that. Yeah, top uh, top recruiting classes of all time. This was handed to me by Christian via the twenty four seven Sports Composite rankings. No surprise, they're all from uh, from the SEC and just. Because we kind of made a joke out of it. Of the top five, you have 2017, 2018, 2021, and 2022 all in the uh, in the top five. Uh, Texas A&M this year, the top 
rated class of all time. 2021 Alabama's number two. Florida Ben of 2004. No, I'm just kidding. Florida of 2010 uh, was uh, was the top rated class. Uh, and Alabama 2017, number four. And Georgia, number five, 2018 class. So all of the top five classes within the last 12 years, 13 years, and all from the SEC. Yeah, and not only is the SEC dominating at the top, and the SEC is clearly dominating at the top. I mean, again, this recruiting season has been about Texas A&M, Georgia, and Alabama, but I believe you have 12 or 13 of the top, what, 25 to 30 classes in the country are in the SEC. So I think, what, Ole Miss is like 11 in their uh, they're in the top 25 nationally, but they're 11th in the SEC in recruiting. So you think about college football being dominated by the SEC. Where does that start? It starts on the recruiting trail. And I believe Vanderbilt had a class that was in the top 30 or the top 35. Uh, so even programs that are struggling for wins in the SEC are winning on the recruiting trail. And I, I, ben, I just think, I mean, you did it. The opportunity to play in the SEC is something that is as appealing as ever, and it's reflected in these recruiting rankings. The lifeblood of any college football program is recruiting. And the thing about it is when you start talking about what make the fan bases even, even matter, BJ and Kevin, it, they, they know about it. It used to be a time, the only way you can get a recruiter, you got to go to some magazine, you know, back when there was magazine. I mean, I'm, they still are now, but before the social media age to where you get your news instantly now, it's, hey, man, but we had the 20th recruit class. We got the top 15 class. Why isn't it translating to the field? Because, listen, just like Kevin, you tell me, if you ain't a top 10 lottery pick in the NBA, it doesn't matter. Dude, do you know how far away number six recruiting class is from number five? Number five from number four? It's, I mean, I know you got to have a ranking, but if you ain't in the top five, it's going to be hard to beat those teams because at the top 300, they getting the top 100 players out of the top 300 players. So, I mean, look, Billy Napier, congratulations. You made it in the top 20. Unfortunately, it's, it's 19 teams ahead of you, and, and most of those are in the SEC. And two, listen, and three of them are the top three in the nation. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. And ben, I think the biggest thing, if you're a college football fan, and, and uh, kind of to BJ's point, the the gap between the top three and everybody else is pretty significant because it's not just a matter of hey, we're getting better players than you. You are, in some ways, hoarding the talent, right? Uh, would, would that be a fair statement, BJ? You are you are hoarding the talent uh, at the top there amongst basically three to four schools who. Uh, we said, what, three to four schools got 70% or something ridiculous of the yeah. top 100? Yeah, the or majority top of the, it's top crazy. Of the five-star, high four-star prospects, whatever service you want to use, whatever distinction you want to use, the majority of those players are going to the same they went to like four, three schools, yeah, yeah. four or five schools. I and mean, then if you want to narrow it down more than that, they're really going to the same three schools. The schools we're talking about right now, and two of them just played for the national championship, obviously, but Texas A&M has played their way into that conversation. And of course, of course, uh, Clemson is going gonna, is gonna to get players. Ohio State, obviously, get Florida. You're always going to have uh, big-time programs bring in big-time talent. But in terms of, to Kevin's point, the, the vast majority of the players that most recruiting pundits say, or hey, these are can't-miss guys. These are come-in-play-right-now guys. These are first-round-peak guys. They're going to the same schools. And the thing about it is we've got certain things in common, right? Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, you know, Nick Saban. 
national championship winners. Now, even though uh, uh, even though Jimbo Fisher won it at Florida State, Jimbo Fisher benefits from being the only SEC school in the state of Texas. Think about that. I got the whole state of Texas. Now, I know Texas is coming, but they ain't here yet. Almost every kid at the Army All-American game was going to Texas A&M. They had, I was like, is that the team? No, that's Texas A&M recruiting class. Nick Saban going to get who he want. Kirby Smart been getting who he want. And unfortunately, if you are LSU, if you are Auburn, if you are, if you are Vanderbilt, if you are Florida, Florida plays Georgia and Texas A&M this year. Right. And if and I just think that I mean, I just think that sometimes, Kevin and BJ, when you think about the SEC schools, where they got the offer, who's going to who's going to have more teams uh, in the draft this year? I mean, get drafted this year. SEC team. They're going to have the most. Now, they set, now you look at the top, you know, there there's there still stories all over the place. Obviously, uh, Jackson State, you think about the recruiting there. You think about Travis Hunter and those guys. I mean, uh, that's that's been incredible to see. Great to see. Uh, but yes, you look at these classes, Kevin, right now and right now. The top three continue to be in front by a wide yeah, it's margin. It's not even close. Alabama and Georgia. Yeah, not even close uh, in in terms of a lot of those rankings. We've got more to come here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Oh, so much to get to here on 3 and Out on this Wednesday. Next hour, Dane Young, UGASports.com. George, another big signing class and another big day here on Wednesday. Also, Mark Passwaters, AggieL.com. Texas A&M, number one recruiting class ever in the history of everything, according to all the math. We'll talk to him about uh, that as well. Tommy Bowden, David Waters of Gators Breakdown, set to join us in the final hour of the program as well. So, so much to get to as we continue throughout the show. But uh, joining us here again, a busy day across the 912 with kids uh, signing in New Hampshire. You had Caden Sonneman uh, signing to go play at VMI. And also our next guest, Tyler Cooper, signing with Savannah State. And joining us here on 3 and Out, signing earlier today with Savannah State out of New Hampstead. Tyler Cooper joins us here on 3 and Out. Tyler, welcome to the show, man. Congratulations. Talk about today and what it means to be able to sign to play at the next level. Hey, how is it going? Uh, it's amazing, you know. They're going to the next level and have another four years to play. Feel great. And Tyler, how long has this been a goal of yours to play college football? You know, since I was I was young, little league, I always wanted to go on and play college, try to get to the next level. And Tyler, you've got a bunch of teammates or teammates area uh, players from around the Savannah area, the nine one two area, going to uh, Savannah State. So, going to be a lot of familiar faces when you get there. How much did that influence the decision to to, to stay local and go to Savannah State? You know, hey, it's going to be amazing. The friendships and brotherhood that we're going to have is going to be wild, man. A lot of us want to see how good can Savannah State actually be, you know, with just hometown people, you know. So it's going to be amazing. Absolutely. And, again, congratulations on signing today with Savannah State. Best of luck to you moving forward. Tyler Cooper joining us here on 3 and Out. Tyler, thanks so much. Uh, it's no problem. Tyler Cooper there at New Hampstead going to Savannah State. And, again, signed a number of 912 kids uh, there today in Savannah. So uh, a good program that continuing to try to uh, continue along those winning ways, BJ and Ben, as they – uh, again, our have Coach Russell Demasi is the interim head coach. They're continuing a coaching search there at Savannah State, but a big signing day for them. And great to see so many local student athletes sign and have a chance to go play for the Tigers. Incredible talent, uh, obviously here in the nine one two and in the Low Country and the Coastal Empire and Coastal Georgia. And like you said, a number of those guys uh, from various programs going to Savannah State. So excited to see what the future holds for those players. I mean, for everybody that said that, you know, we talk about uh, Savannah State football, do the local do the local uh, football players uh, really care about that school? I think it just got answered when they said, look, can we restore what Savannah State used to be with, with local talent? And I give those players a lot of credit, man. I think uh, Kevin and BJ, look, when you grow up in the city, you want you and with a, with a team like Savannah State, everybody wants to know, can we be the ones that get them back on track, man? And big-time players like that, I wish those players nothing but the best. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. As I said, a busy uh, signing day here on the show. We'll hear from Dane Young, UGASports.com next hour. Also, Mark Passwaters of AggieL.com uh, will join us next hour as well. Tommy Bowden, former Clemson head coach in the final hour of the program. David Waters of Gators Breakdown in the final hour of the program. He will join us as well. So, so much to get to. We'll take three on the flip side of this next break as well. A lot of interesting uh, questions to get to uh, and, and take three today, so looking forward to that. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also catch us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube live streaming. If you missed any portion of the show, hit us up on uh, those as well. You can get an archived version, podcast version of the show. Coming up, Hour 2, Take 3 next. You're on 3 now.
Welcome back, three and out. Hour two on this Wednesday, this hour, we will chat with Dane Young, UGA Sports.com, Georgia, another big day. Uh, and we'll get to the very latest on how Kirby Smart's uh, signing day Wednesday shaped up. Also, Mark Passwaters, AggieL.com, Jimbo Fisher, best recruiting class ever in the history of recruiting classes. And at the press conference, said it's not because of the money. Okay, Jimbo, we'll uh, we'll let you, we'll, we'll just let that be what it is. So we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. But first, let's take three here on three and out. All right, Ben and BJ, the new name is out for the football team. No more. Washington is now the Washington Commanders. Do you like the name Washington Commanders? Uh, it's okay. It's okay. I, I I think it's fine. Um, I don't I don't really like the uniforms. I and and you know the big release. I guess this got leaked. Uh, came out before the the big release. But uh, I I guess wanted to be the Wolves or the Red Wolves potentially. But there was like a copyright issue or something. But I think I think Commanders is I think Commanders is okay. Uh, don't don't like the initial look of the of, of the uniforms. So they look kind of like I don't know like an arena league team sort of but I think I think commanders Ben is okay they made us wait this long for this call it what it is man BJ we don't got to do that we, it was all this anticipation right oh they gonna do it this year no they gonna wait another year we got it what the commanders listen the same people who picked the commanders are the same people that came up with the Atlanta Braves mascot. These people, they work together. They got to work together, Kevin, because when the Atlanta Braves mascot came out, I said, that's another butter with arms and legs. What in the world is that? I'm just saying, the command, it ain't bad. Louisa, it's like this. Louisa, when the last time you went and had food and said, it wasn't bad. That means it wasn't good either. That means it wasn't bad. Come on, the commanders, the commanders of what? Like, like, what? What? I mean, I got to go back to some type of uh, historical significance to see. Yeah, man, back in the day. No, no. This is Daniel Snyder telling everybody, y'all going to make me take the weather the same way? Okay, I'm going to pick the commanders. Commander, what? What about DC commands anything? Nothing. <laughs> so that's what we're dealing with. You go from no name to commanders. There you go, people. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, it's lame. I mean, it's it's... <laughs> It sounds like they're, they're they're getting ready to play the Dallas Renegades or the Houston Roughnecks. I mean, let's just be real. The Washington Commanders, and I hope they didn't pay a lot for that uniform design because that was awful. Hey, guys, we'll just put a W on the helmet like the other W, but we'll make it look worse. We'll put it together with Microsoft Paint, and that's your logo. <laughs> what? And then the other logo is like, hey, We'll just make a white circle, put that same W in the middle, and when did y'all win again? All right, we'll just put those dates around that, and you could use that as a logo also. So a W with 1990 or whenever they won the Super Bowl on it, and we'll call it a day. That's the creativity you get in 2022. It's amazing. A generic name for a generic team that will finish... Dead last in a bad division. How about that? Is that I mean, it's, it's awful. It's, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I mean, the whole thing about it is, I mean, think about this. You wait all that time, BJ, to finally look. You know, well, let me see. Is this a joke? But well, somebody said the USL, the USFL is coming back out. No, that would be the NFL team. What? <laughs> yeah, they'll be watching the commanders of the National Football League. 
I'm telling you, BJ and Kevin, we deserve better. I know, I know, Dan Snyder gonna do what he want. We as we as uh, you know, uh, people who love football deserve better than the command. The command. I actually, I've said this a number of times off the air. I actually, the longer it went on, would have just preferred them to call themselves the football team. Like that actually was kind of one of those things. I where, saw like, a lot of people say it's that. It's different. On it's media. like if you're gonna come up with something lame like Commanders, like just be the football team and be done with it. Like, if you're Dan Snyder, you're like, I'm going to stick it to people because they want me to change the name. Fine, just be the football team. It can't be It can't be any worse than what you did. And you paid somebody for this. I hope not a lot. At the end of the day, the Washington Commanders coming to a stadium near you. All right, uh, take two. Former Florida State Georgia edge rusher Jermaine Johnson starring, is starring at the Senior Bowl. I'm sorry. Where does he rank amongst the top edge rushing prospects? And he was a guy that was highly thought of, transferred from Georgia, went to Florida State. And while you say, well, Florida State didn't have a great year. No, but he did. And he really improved his stock there. Now he's shining at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, he was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. And keep in mind, that's in a conference where you had guys star for Clemson, guys star for Pitt. Uh, and and he was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. And I think he is a really dynamic pass rusher. And in terms of where does he rank, I, first round, Ben, he's a first-round pick coming off the edge. And I think probably best suited. I know in today's National Football League, schemes are sort of multiple with, with, with everybody, depending upon the circumstances and the situation, down and distance, whatever. But I think probably best suited is a 3-4, maybe outside linebacker, kind of hybrid edge rusher. But uh, I know you think about uh, you know the guys at the top, Thibodeau and, and, and Hutchinson, I mean, I think Jermaine Johnson is a is a first-round pick. Had over 10 sacks, and I, I think it's impressive when guys not only have the sack totals, but also have the tackles for loss totals because you're getting involved in the running game, too. You're not only attacking the quarterback, which is vitally important. That's defensive priority number one in the National Football League, but you're also finding a way to be impactful when teams run the ball. So I think he's a complete player. I think he's an every-down player. Apparently had a tremendous day at the Senior Bowl, and I think this is a guy that is a first-round pick, absolutely. Yeah, I think he's a first-round pick as well. I mean, with people, because you know how it is. If you're a big-time talent coming from a school like Georgia, going to Florida State, people want to see, hey, man, how good of a player are you? Do you really want to compete at this this non this this nonsense people be yelling but he goes out there bj as you mentioned i'm the best defender in the acc that's what everybody that was coming back that knew these schemes that have been there for years then i'm dominating at the senior bowl i think i think he's checking off all the boxes right now because when those nfl coaches are watching you go out there and dominate tackles that are going to be starting tackles at the next level and you're making these guys look bad and i did it i did it at florida state so the tape that i just showed in florida state is matching my practice habits at the Senior Bowl, which is why you are there. The Senior Bowl is about the week of practice. What, six, four, six, five? Dude, what, around 260, violent hands? I mean, I, I, all, every time I see Jermaine Johnson, I see him dumping these tackles on their back. I mean, when tackles are jumping up off the ground, patting guys on the back, that's all you can do. Go out there and dominate. So, yes, Jermaine Johnson, when people ask why, what, what is the best case scenario of a transfer portal, I don't think it's going to get better than a guy like Jermaine Johnson who went to Florida State. What's the best player on that team? And it's dominating when it matters the most at the same bowl. And another thing I like about, Kevin, another thing I like about guys you're going to pick in the first round where they're at their best in big games. And you think about Jermaine Johnson, maybe his play of the year was against Clemson, had a sack, forced a fumble, picked up the fumble, ran it back for a touchdown. Uh, so I think you saw him perform in big games. He's a first-round pick. Uh, and if he does slide to the second round, I know depending upon 
what projections you look at. Maybe he goes in the top 20. Maybe he slides. I mean, if you're the Atlanta Falcons or the Jacksonville Jaguars who need whoa, edge whoa, help, whoa, and, and whoa, whoa. if they're there in the second round, I mean, I, look, DJ, he may go in the top 10. He may go in the top DJ, 10. Let me tell you something. If y'all, let me, let me, I'm, I'm going to say this again because BJ just said it. If he slipped to the, the big 25. You don't slip to big 25. You are a first-round pick. Out of everybody, I went top 32. Listen, if somebody go, he was supposed to go 19. Where he went? He went 20. Stop the hell out of him. What, what, did you, what did you talk about, sir? Listen, the goal is to get drafted. I left Georgia, who just won the Natty, and I go to Florida State, and I am the best defender in the in the uh, ACC, and we beat Clemson, right, because of, because of my play, BJ, and now I'm dominated at the Senior Bowl, and I slipped to the first round. Well, uh, well if that's slipping, I want to slip all day. No, man, I'm saying, listen, I'm with you. I'm saying if he's there in the second round when Atlanta picks, when Jacksonville picks, but I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he moves into the top 15 or the top 10. Listen, listen, is that cool and unusual punishment because I was good at college, my consolation prize, I get to go to Jacksonville or Atlanta to play defensive line? I feel sorry for that man right now. I'm going to get his jersey if you go to Atlanta and if you go to Jacksonville. Well, <laughs> he got to deal with Derrick Henry. That's a big problem. That's a big problem out there uh, for sure. Well, the, first they got to have a coach. You don't even know who you're going to play for if you're Jacksonville, and they may not know for another week and a half. So uh, that's problem number one there in Jacksonville. All right, fellas, take three. Interesting question. When will baseball spring training start? Now, pitchers and catchers usually report around Valentine's Day, normally the end of February 1st of March. They start spring training games. But when do you think it will start? Last possible minute. I mean, I, I think when they're up against it and they realize, and Kevin, you said, what, you probably need a minimum of three, four weeks, I guess, of spring training to... More for the pitchers get, than the position right, players, but yeah. But, but to get primed and ready for however long a regular season is. Baseball season's very long, but I think I, I, I don't think there's a uh, sign out there that suggests it's going to start on time or close to on time. So I think you're already looking at a delay and... The closer you get to spring, you get into spring, you start to wonder, are we going to have a full 162? You don't want to impact that. And if you do, you don't want it to be significant. I know we were talking with somebody last week who said maybe you could deal with a uh, squeeze down to like 150 or something like that. But if you start saying we're going to miss 20, 25, 30% of the regular season, that is a problem. So I think they will get in spring training at the last minute in order to not totally disrupt the regular season. You got to protect the regular season. I, I I don't I don't believe you have to have necessarily the full traditional spring training at all costs. I mean, if they're at an impasse here with the contract or labor negotiations, maybe you can lose a little bit of spring training and it not overtly affect the regular season. But I think they will wait until the last minute until it does affect the regular season, and then we will have spring training. Of course, it's gonna be the last minute, and, and BJ, it might go a little bit past, you know, the twelve, you know, the twelve o'clock hour, or whatever they call them hours when it comes to that camera. But this, this was really scary. Even though, even even though the commission can't save me this time. Remember when the commission jumped in, Kevin? I'm just gonna be the commission fifty games. All I'm saying is, we don't want to hear from the commissioner of baseball. We don't want to hear from him. We don't want him doing interviews. We don't, because what is he gonna say? Uh, gonna get, <laughs> please, he don't know what to say. He only he he's just surprised as as everybody else that he even became the commissioner. So sometimes you got to do it for the rest of the league. Look, I'm not blaming Trout. I'm not blaming Harper. I'm not blaming Mookie Betts and old big time guys. 
they need to step up and say, hey, man, what do we got to do to make this thing right? Because, what, 75% of the league is it's, it's mid-tier guys. and ain't nothing wrong with that. That's what this is about. This is about going for what, what was it, Kevin? What, what I think they went from the average cut. Con- minimum or something yeah. like that. So basically, what Mike Trout makes maybe in a game or two, that's what the other guys making for the game. And I'm not blaming him, but this is always about mid-tier guys making a significant 100000 more league minimum. That's a lot of money, man. That is a lot of – and some of those guys play every day. We need to my pitchers. So <laughs> do it, do it, do it for the guys that make up the league, man. Hopefully, hopefully, BJ and Kevin, we will have baseball at a reasonable hour. Thank yeah. God they got a gazillion games. We might just miss about ten of them. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hopefully you, you get it done because again, we are we live in a society that has a short attention span, and if you're not playing, something will fill that gap. Because I, I've seen fans, uh, I saw somebody out there as a fan say, "Well, hey, if they do come back." You should just, everybody should just not go and voice our displeasure and they can play in front of empty stadiums. I'm like, uh, they did that already and they made record money when when it was coronavirus. The, the peak of COVID-19, they played in front of zero fans and they made money. It's not about people showing up. That helps, but it's about the TV contracts. I, I, I Something I think is very poignant, uh, Ben, is it kind of tells you where we're at in, in negotiations when... When something needs to get done and you think people are serious about it, do you meet for do you meet for two hours? Do you meet for 20 minutes? Or do you say, fellas, I hope have somebody bring in some food, have somebody bring in some drinks, and we are going to sit here until we figure something out. And I'm not talking about two hours and then we leave. We are going to be here all day, and if we got to come back tomorrow, we'll be here to all day the next day, and we'll be here all day the next day. Not, hey, man, we met for two hours. We really didn't find a lot of common ground, but we're, we're thinking about meeting in two or three days. No, that that's not serious negotiating on either side. That is, we feel like there's still time, and we're not ready to get down to being serious. If you really want to get a deal done for the health of the game, you get in a room, you sit down, and you say, listen, we're not leaving until we figure this out. And so far, nobody's been willing to do that. So, no, spring training's not starting on time. Uh, I, unfortunately, as much as I hate to uh, to admit that, I mean, if they signed a deal today, which they're not going to, but if they did, okay, maybe you can get it ramped up where, you know, pitchers and catchers will report the week after and, and everything's fine. You start missing report dates and all that, then it's like, okay, so now we need time to stretch out. Now we got to reorganize the schedule for spring. Now we got to do it. So, I, I, I don't think they're going to start on time, and I hope – Somebody with some sense wakes up and gets a deal done before you miss a significant portion of the games because while fans will come back, maybe not all of them, and you may not need them in a seat, but you do need their eyeballs elsewhere, whether it be on media, platforms, television, what have you. That's take three. We do it each and every day at this time. we got more to come here on 3 and Out, including Georgia football having another big day, National Signing Day. Dane Young, UGA Sports, joins us next here on 3 and Out.
traffic light Everybody's looking As she goes by They turn their heads and Hey, this is Ryan McGee, senior writer with ESPN And you're listening to 3 and Out With BJ, Ben, and Kevin Good to have you here, three and out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. National Signing Day 2022 is upon us, and Georgia, uh, again, had a great go in the early signing period, and today, uh, no different here on National Signing Day. Dane Young, UGASports.com, joins us. Dane, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well, Kevin. Always a pleasure to chat with you and BJ and Ben. Hey, appreciate you coming on. And, uh, again, a lot of people anymore get caught up in the early signing day, but the regular signing day, if we want to call it that, was uh, really good to Georgia as well, really closing in on a a number of guys that in some cases used to be former commits elsewhere, but a number of, uh, again, four- and five, five-star guys, especially on the defensive side. Yeah, and I think that defensive line is where Georgia is probably looking for guys to step up soon. I mean, look down at the Senior Bowl and look at projected NFL drafts to see, uh, you know, where a lot of these Georgia Bulldogs are, are in the mix to be, uh, you know, out of the program and in the NFL. So there's a lot of room for younger guys to step up, and some of the case for that can be true freshmen. I think getting Christian Miller uh, in here is going to be big, especially when you think about Bear Alexander's injury. Uh, also, you know, he signed in the early signing period. Uh, but he'll be out for the spring with a labor injury, so there could be some early playing time along the defensive line. Dane, how does this class compare to some of Georgia's uh, recent classes? Well, today in particular, you know, I don't know that there is much excitement around February, especially as there once was years ago. You know, I, I kind of romantically look back at the days where people in Athens would gather at the Blind Pig and watch Isaiah Crowell on video hold up a puppy. Uh, but that's, it doesn't happen in February anymore. So it's a couple guys came in today. In total, it's a really good class. Uh, I think in the rivals rankings, uh, we have it at either two or three. I'll have to see what those numbers wind up being. Uh, Texas A&M did really well. Alabama did really well. Georgia did really well. Uh, that's kind of the, the class of, of college football. And if you get this part right, you don't have to do as much work in the transfer portal uh, like LSU and Florida you know, has, is having to do. Uh, when I look at Georgia's class as a whole, I just see Georgia looking at it and saying, get that defensive line right and get more length in the secondary and I think that's where you know, some of the concern was for the Bulldogs uh, this season. It, it worked out at cornerback having Keely Ringo and, and Darion Kendrick, uh, but Kendrick's going to be gone, so someone's going to have to be on the other side of Ringo. And Dane, I mean, you, I mean, you said the best. I mean, Kirby Smart is always saying, "Man, it's half coaching and then half the players that he go out there and get." But when you look at the product on the field last year, I mean, I know the Texas A&M is doing what they're doing to Alabama's Alabama, but they know that Georgia got to replace guys like Wyatt, you know, like Jordan Davis. They seem to be not missing the beat with guys not only want to play but coming in Georgia ready to play. Yeah, and you know, some of these freshmen, I do think there's an acclimation period. Uh, Keely Ringo, yeah, he had this season, then he had this past year, and and he's as high of a recruit as you can possibly have, but it still took, what, a year and a half because he had the injury his freshman year for him to really find the spotlight. So just because you're a five-star in this class doesn't mean that you step into SEC football, especially in the trenches, and make it work. But what Georgia's doing is saying, all right, Let's get the guys like a Michael Williams who projects out to be just a a stud in terms of of length and size, Uh, and let's see if we can get him in here and and make it happen on on the defensive front. I still say with Georgia, we're talking about next year, 
the schedule is is favorable enough. I mean, in the SEC, it's as favorable as it gets that a lot of these guys will get some playing time uh, in fourth quarters because Georgia is going to be resting starters and blowout wins. Dane Young, UGASports.com. Joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Dane, you look at the job that Kirby Smart's done in recruiting. You talked about you guys all have him, what, second or third in the rivals rankings uh, when it's all said and done. But as someone who follows this, just talk about the gap that is being created here in college football by Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and this year uh, Jimbo Fisher and how big the gap is between those three teams and everybody else. Even you say, oh, I have a top five team, but you're still numerically far and away worse than Georgia, Alabama, and Texas A&M. How big is that gap, and is it actually getting bigger? Well, you know, if you look back just at the history of how this all goes, it used to be, oh, if you had a top 10 class, you're doing really well. Well, now if you're, you know, it, it was a few years ago, if you're not in the top five, well, that's struggling. And then you saw it was, you know, LSU and Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State separate themselves. Georgia then got into the mix. And then now if you're not a top three class, I mean, it really takes – having some guys develop well behind that just because, you know, the, the top talent team seems to be aggregating to the same places. And then even if they don't, they transfer, you know, almost within a year to, to somewhere else. And so the recruiting really happens to keep the guys on campus once they get there. Otherwise, you wind up with – look at what Oklahoma's dealing with. You had two five-star quarterbacks in uh, Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams, one's at South Carolina and one's at USC – uh, so I guess the pair of USC's and Oklahoma sitting there having to, you know, they brought in Dylan Gabriel, but uh, Georgia's not having to do that. And, and a lot of that is because Georgia and Alabama, and then we'll see with Texas A&M, they seem to have figured out roster management in this new crazy era where it, it's unmitigated free agency. Last couple of weeks, of course, Georgia's been able to recruit with the title defending national champion. Uh, has that changed the pitch at all? Does it change the pitch at all? Or has Georgia been right there, close enough, so dominant that, hey, it's just, uh, yeah, it's a great part of history and it's something we're celebrating, but it doesn't necessarily affect how we recruit. Kirby Smart said the latter when he was speaking with with media earlier this afternoon. He was saying that 10 years ago everything was about national championship for players, but the priorities have shifted. Some of it's branding, some of it is NIL, that they don't all value national championships like they once did. I don't know if I necessarily believe that or if maybe that was just the recruiting pitch for him to say in the moment. Um, I do think that teams are being more selective with saying, all right, we don't want to bring in someone that's not here for the right reasons. Uh, because that can really disrupt the locker room and really divide. And I think that the problem that we're seeing uh, in college athletics now is how is it about the team and not necessarily about the individual or what's the correct balance with that. Uh, and so, you know, I think Kirby Smart is, is looking at it and saying the national championship you know, helped in some ways. Even Christian Miller said that after the, the Georgia win in Miami over Michigan, that's when he really felt connected to Georgia uh, he had even had two silent commitments to other schools, but Georgia kind of kept recruiting him and stayed on him. If nothing else, I think it's easy enough to – I mean, this is pretty obvious, but if Georgia's recruiting a team hard and that, that player – or recruiting a player hard and that player feels like, oh, the national champions really want me, that can only help. Dane, how much more dangerous, though, does it make a team like Georgia? Because like you mentioned, I mean, it was – Let's face it, it was more about Kirby Smart having to finally get over that hump and win that national championship. And now that he has, and people saying, can anybody even chase that dynasty over there in Tuscaloosa? Well, the guy that just won against uh, Nick Saban, I think he's got the blueprint uh, 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 at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, if you just look at how these recruiting rankings are going, you're saying, well, look at this top three. Well, two of the three teams did beat Alabama, and the other one is Alabama. Uh, and so the the blueprint's out there that if you have the best players, you tend to have a better chance to, to win these games. And I, I don't see Georgia going anywhere from the, the playoff conversation, in part because I do think that favorable schedule, and I thought Georgia had an easy schedule this past season, too, that when injuries did happen, it's not going to be anything debilitating. Uh, there, there wasn't a crazy road night game that weird things can happen like Alabama had against a Texas A&M. Um, and, and so, yeah, the dynasty in Alabama, I, I don't know if it's necessarily in danger because I think Alabama is going to be the best team in college football next season, especially with some of the transfer uh, portal acquisitions that it made. But uh, Georgia can compete with Alabama, and obviously A&M can as well. And I think LSU could get back in the mix pretty quickly, too. Dane Young, UGASports.com, joining us here on 3 and Out. Dane, you mentioned something about Kirby and Nick Saban figuring out the roster management aspect of this thing in today's day and age of college football. I wonder if you could, like, if you could speak to that, because obviously the quarterback room is the most popular thing that everybody sees. It's like, hey, you got five stars, five stars, five stars. Only one can play. Who's going to leave? Who's going to train? Georgia. Full running back room. Lost a couple of guys, and again today, signed a top 50 running back uh, nationally on uh, on the first day of this signing period uh, in Andrew Paul, and he's the second running back of this class. Kind of expound on that and how when they recruit these guys, they've kind of gone with the roster management when you look at it and say, man, there's four- and five-star guys just packed in a lot of positions, and only one or two guys are going to get a bulk of the playing time. Yeah, so it's really making sure that you understand where each of your players' heads are at, and it's so difficult to do. Um, you know, they're at a place in life where even the guys that aren't in the transfer portal, I promise you they have people reaching out to their high school coaches or reaching out to their parents and saying, hey, go go look at the depth chart over this other place and see what that looks like. That's the bombardment of messages happening. And so Georgia's constantly, and every team too, not just Georgia, keeping track of individual players' Uh, what's on their brain. So like a Jordan Bryant James had been committed to Georgia for a while as a running back, flips to Oregon today, wasn't unexpected from Georgia, and it's why Dell McGee had Andrew Paul in Athens for an official visit. It's why he went down to see him in Texas uh, to make sure he had that relationship. Was it a bit of a last-second deal to, to get Andrew Paul on board? Sure, um, but that's because they, they anticipated Jordan Bryant James would not be signing. And yeah, that, that just takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time and legwork, and Georgia is such a – a big, powerful staff at this point, just the amount of people and, and hours that are put into it. Um, that's what's required. That's what you're seeing Billy Napier do at Florida uh, a bit differently. They're just hiring a ton of people on staff because that's, that's what makes the difference in trying to figure out where these players are going to be really beyond the spring because it could change that quickly. Dane Young, UGASports.com, our guest here on 3 and Out. Dane, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Dane Young, appreciate him joining us here. National Signing Day. We'll come back. Mark Passwaters, AggieYell.com, Texas A&M, number one recruiting class ever. And Jimbo Fisher uh, sounding off on that and a number of things uh, here on National Signing Day. Mark Passwaters will join us next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Good to have you along three and out on this Wednesday, National Signing Day, a banner day for Texas A&M, uh, the best class, the best class ever, according to a lot of the rankings. And joining us here from uh, AggieYell.com, covering uh, Texas A&M, Mark Passwaters joins us here on three and out. Mark, welcome to the show. Best class ever. I guess uh, everybody in College Station uh, feeling pretty good today. Well, I don't know. If you'd listen to Jimbo Fisher's press conference here in the last hour, he's a little hot to trot. Uh, he's got a few things to say to people that are saying A&M bought this class. And uh, he put Lane Kiffin pretty much right in his sights, saying that uh, you know the, what he said was insulting. It was a clown show uh, that you know these guys are insinuating A&M is buying players, and they're the ones most active in boasting about NIL and, and transfers. I don't think that uh, he, there's... Uh, a whole lot of subtlety there. He was definitely taking aim at old Mrs. Coach. So, yeah, they'll be happy when the day is done. But at the moment, A&M's coach is a little angry about uh, the insinuations about how A&M got here. I was going to say, so uh, how did Coach Fisher, I guess, handle that in his press conference, talking about what is uh, the greatest class statistically per 247 ever, but as you said, also uh, addressing some of the some of the conjecture out there. Well, Brent Zornerman of the Houston Chronicle asked him the first question about the uh, the $30 million allegation. And if you go and take a look at Twitter, it's a three-minute and 25-second monologue of him rebutting it rather forcefully. And uh, he took some shots at, uh, at Lane Kiffin. He took some shots at Dick Saban. So uh, I don't think there was any friendship between Kiffin and, and Jimbo before, but uh, the, the relationship between Jimbo and uh, Saban seems to be taking on water at the moment. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they did a great job of recruiting. No matter how they got there, you can't deny it. I mean, shoot, even today, they've already picked up another five-star, and they may pick up one more later tonight uh, when Jacoby Matthews uh, announced I mean, it, it was incredible to see what they had at the Under Armour game and really at the, uh, the Adidas All-American game. First, I think 20 of the 28 A&M signees were in All-Star games, uh, and that's just a phenomenal number but it shows how well they recruited and how well their signees are regarded nationally. And I think that, the, you know, the, uh, the expectations now are very high for A&M, that they should be in the national championship discussion. And programs, you know, recruiting classes like this are what you build programs around. And I think that, uh, you know, expectations should be high because they've got some phenomenal talent coming in. Mark, to just kind of address what you were talking about there with, with Jimbo, I mean, from your standpoint, how much, and I know what Jimbo said, how, how much does NIL kind of stuff factor into your ability to recruit? Because, I mean, pretty much everybody you talk to now says, look, that's part of the pitch is, hey, we've got potential NIL deals coming here. I mean, there's collectives at a lot of schools now who are raising money just to be able to allocate for athletes. I mean, how much of that does come into play when you talk about a recruiting now, and I mean, obviously, I guess that's why people go after Jimbo because he's the latest and he's got the the best recruiting class statistically ever. Right, and 
you know, it, it's, it's, you would rather be one of the haves than the have-nots for sure. And when you take a look at the West Texas Intermediate crew trading at 88 bucks a barrel, who do you think's drilling all that stuff? <laughs> a lot of Aggies. You know, it, so there's a, there's a lot of money to be had, you know, with Texas A&M. But I don't think that was the case that is in that NIL was the driving factor for a lot of these guys. What you had was a lot of kids from Houston who decided that they wanted to stay together and win a championship in state. And then a couple of those guys, uh, especially Bobby Taylor, the cornerback from Katie, and Donovan Green, the tight end from Dickinson, were just outstanding recruiters. They just really did a good job swaying some of these other guys from other parts of the state and the country, and shoot, in one case, Sweden, uh, you know, to, to come here. And, you know, having the ability to sit there and say, if you're interested in NIL, there's go- there are going to be opportunities here. You you know, you'll be helped in that respect. That's awesome. That that certainly helps. But I don't think that's the only thing, or even close to the only thing, that got these guys to end up at AM. Mark, what type of statement does this class make when you think that, hey, Georgia and Alabama just played for the national championship. You out-recruited them. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma are coming into the SEC. You just out-recruited them. When you take all that into account, I mean, what type of statement is Texas A&M making to the SEC and I guess the rest of college football? Uh, I think Jimbo put it best in his press conference. We ain't going anywhere. Uh, this is uh, this is a team that now has very high expectations. Started two years ago when obviously when they ended up fourth in the country uh, and won the Orange Bowl. Uh, you know they, they had a good team last year, but losing Haynes King and going to Zach Calzada was a big step back in that cost of game. But if they stay healthy this year. They're a deeper team. They're more uh, explosive offensively. I think they're a more complete group. And, uh, you know, hey, they are the team that beat Alabama when Alabama was healthy. So, you know, I think that they're trying to make a statement next year and in 2023 that not only are they a good team now, but they're going to be a good team, a team that can contend for the SEC and a national title down the road. And, Mark, I mean, I know that Texas is coming over to the SEC, you know, here soon, but – you know, what does that say in the state of Texas? Because obviously when you talk about the brands in the state of Texas, it doesn't get much better than Texas and Texas A&M. For them to be doing that in Texas, with Texas still being the brand they are, it's got to say something in that state, especially when, you know, uh, Sar- Sarkeesian and those guys thought they would be able to have a better recruiting class at this point. Well, you know, I think the all-gas-no-break ploy uh, kind of fell apart when you lose to Kansas. It doesn't matter how much, how much NIL you have, when you lose to Kansas at home, you got a problem, and they Texas needs to do some rebuilding. And I think that they they put together a pretty solid class. I mean, you're still a top ten outfit, but they got a long way to go. And I mean, if they're going to gun for A and M, that's great. But right now, they need to be gunning for Baylor, for Oklahoma State, for Iowa State. These are teams who beat them last year. I mean, one step at a time. They've got a serious rebuild that they need to take, and it starts on both lines. They're soft on both lines. And they better be thankful that they're probably not coming to the SEC until 2025. Because if they were to come in right now, they would be absolutely steamrolled. They're just not tough. And I think that Sarkeesian real, you know, understands the reality of that. It's a matter of whether or not he can get the bodies in there, and if he'll be given the time to do it. You know, it it's a tougher situation to recruit right now for Texas than it is for A&M, and it's not close. And I don't know if there's any other time in history you could say that.
Yeah, Mark Passwater's uh, Aggie Yell joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Mark, you mentioned uh, number one overall class. Jimbo's saying, look, we're not going anywhere. you got to compete with Alabama and Georgia. We obviously see what having top recruiting classes means. It means you play for the national championship. Uh, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, they've been the teams that people have been talking about. Does it take this class time to develop to, before that? Or are people think, hey, you just got the number one class. Playoff at the very least in 2022 is what we should be expecting. Well, I think that the guys from the 2022 class are going to be, some of them are going to be expected to contribute. I don't think you keep a Walter Nolan or an Evan Stewart or somebody like that on the sideline. But this is still going to be a team that has an awful lot of veteran influence. In it. You're talking about, uh, you know, the, the cor- you're going to have corners that are seniors or a sophomore in Tyreek Chappelle, who was one of the best in the country. You've got three very good, ex- now experienced offensive linemen you can build around. You've got Devon A-Chain, who is absolutely the most explosive player in the country at running back. And more importantly, you've got experience at quarterback. You know, Haynes King has now been in the system three years. Max Johnson has won in the SEC with less talent than he'll have at A&M. You know, the opportunities are knocking starting now. And it's not going to be a team that is going to have to rely totally on this group of freshmen. Well, they need some to contribute? Yeah, but they've still got an awful lot of veterans who are going to serve as the nucleus of this team. Mark Passwaters, AggieL.com, our guest here on a 3 and Out. Mark, appreciate it. Thanks much. You bet, gentlemen. Take care. Appreciate it. Mark Passwaters joining us here on a 3 and Out. We've got more to come here on National Signing Day. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
How you doing? This is Eric Rett, former Gator Great, and you're listening to BJ, Ben, and Kevin with 3 and Out. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out, on this National Signing Day. A lot of young men up and down the coast inking their name on the dotted line to head on and play at the next level, and the San State really doing a number up and down uh, the coast, recruiting the 912 hard and really cleaning up uh, in the 912 as far as recruiting there, and one of those young men uh, from Islands. Tavari Bruton, I had a chance to speak with him about his commitment here earlier today. Joining us here on 3 and Out, linebacker from Ireland, signing with Savannah State earlier today. Tavari Bruton joins us here. Tavari, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. How about you? Doing fantastic. Talk about your decision to sign, stay in town there with Savannah State. I know they've recruited a lot of 912 guys. Talk about that decision today. Uh, it was, you know, being home for me, like, help watch my family. Helped them watch me play ball and all that, and the atmosphere and the family and the brotherhood at Savannah State kind of made my decision pretty easy. What, what was this process like? Obviously, a lot of hard work on the field, off the field. What was this process like getting to this point? It's, it was a lot of work, you know, hard, hard work in practice, outside of practice, working hard, a lot of training, a lot of time put into football. So being able to play at the next level is, you know, makes the time worth it. Now, I know you played both sides of the ball in high school, but going to play defense there for uh, for Savannah State. Talk about that uh, that linebacker mentality and getting to play on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I love defense. It's my favorite thing to do in football. At linebacker, you got to be a dog. So I, I, I want to come in and be that dog, be that guy, and compete to play. What's it going to be like when you step out on that field, play at the next level, get a chance to play college football? How how long has this been a goal of yours? It's been my goal since, my, goal since my 10th grade year. At first in high school, I came in not really wanting to play football. I was a basketball player. But in seeing some of my teammates go to college really influenced me to play football and go to college. So being able to do that, stepping out on the actual football field as a college student, it, I'll be happy. And uh, you are certainly going to do that. Headed to Savannah State. Tavara Bruton joining us here from Islands High School. Appreciate the time. Congratulations and best of luck to you moving forward. Right, thank you. And he is going to be playing at the next level. Savannah State really doing a wonderful job around the nine one two and. Uh, wrapping up a lot of uh, local talent uh, there to continue to go and play at uh, Savannah State. So uh, congratulations to that young man. We've had a number of guys up and down the coast sign uh, to go play there at Savannah State. It's National Signing Day upon us. And again, just kind of following up from the early signing period back in December, but obviously still big today, first Wednesday in February. Yeah, and very cool to see uh, so many guys from southeast Georgia there sign with Savannah State. But, uh, Ben, it's, it, this is such a special day for so many student-athletes, their families, the programs. It's just really cool to see so many guys uh, have a chance to sign scholarships. Absolutely, and I, and I got to say this. I know I know he's moved on to greener pastures, and I mean, I, I can say this. A lot of times, BJ, we talk about uh, Florida State and how hard it was for Willie Taggart and, and Mike Norvell. Well, Sean Quinn started at Savannah State. You see that still still going on right now. So shout-out to the Savannah State boys. When them local boys saying, if we going to bring Savannah State back, we're going to represent Savannah doing it. Shout out to them young boys. Absolutely. We've got a lot more to get to here on three and out final hour. Tommy Bowden's going to join us, uh, former Clemson head coach David Waters of Gators Breakdown going to join us. And we'll hear from uh, some comments from Clay Helton on their uh, exciting recruiting class. Four-star running back comes in, highest rated recruit ever in the history of Georgia Southern. 
Clay Helton gets it done today there in Statesboro. This is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Be back here three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. National Signing Day. Once again, a uh, huge day around uh, the country is Texas A&M, the number one recruiting class ever, according to the composite rankings. Georgia, Alabama in there in the top three as well. Just a huge gap between those three and everybody else. And uh, joining us here to talk about that and college football and more, former Clemson Tulane head football coach Tommy Bowden joins us here on Three and Out. Coach, welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, doing good. Thanks for having me. And I know uh, recruiting uh, has always been big in the South, and when you're at Tulane and Clemson, obviously knew the importance of it. But in 2022, do you think uh, Nick Saban, Curry, Kirby Smart, more stretched out about coaching each other or, 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 or recruiting? Well, you know, unfortunately, it, it kind of lost its luster with two signing dates. I think uh, 80% of the players signed the early signing date, so it's not nearly like it used to be where – Boy, you all nervous on Tuesday night and, and Wednesdays when all the faxes come in. You know, most of them came in earlier. So uh, right now, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are more worried about each other than, than recruiting on a day like today. Coach, when you look back over your career, uh, time on the recruiting trail, uh, what do you remember most? What stands out? Well, you know, the, 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 the big push on uh, really – uh, it was a dead period, uh, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and, and Wednesday, or Monday and Tuesday before signing date. So you're more in the office. You're manning the phones. Gosh, I can remember so many late-night conversations, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, talking to guys on Tuesday night and then before that next uh, signing date on Wednesday. Uh, those were pretty hectic days in the past. And those are the days that I remember. Not as prevalent now, but I can remember some late nights on that Tuesday night and a lot of a lot of uh, tense moments uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday leading up to Wednesday, Wednesday signing day. Coach, how much crazier do you think this thing is going to get? Obviously, National Signing Day is still the premier signing. I mean, the premier day for uh, guys coming out, even if they do got early signing day. But you look at you know what's being talked about at Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher uh, defending them, and you see what Kirby Smart doing, you see what Nick Saban doing. But how crazy do you see this thing getting? Well, you know, I think this they're going to have to some way put a governor, I think, on the expenses in, in a limit because uh, what Texas A&M did is legal, and, uh, and they've got a lot of money, <laughs> Texas A&M and, and Texas. And uh, unfortunately, guys, I think right now are making decisions, some of them, not all of them, more based on finances than, uh, than, than the, the right school, the right fit. And, and all those things that used to be major factors, now money is going to be a huge factor. And if they don't find some way, I don't know, I don't, I do not know the answer to put a regulation or, or, or a top, a top end, then this thing could really get interesting over the next couple of years financially. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Coach, how, how disingenuous is that for folks when they say it doesn't play a factor? I know Jimbo was very outspoken about that today, saying, "Look, it doesn't matter. We we went out and, and worked." Until, how disingenuous to think that that doesn't play a factor, and as you said, you're heading towards a, a scenario where you have 130 schools, and financially you don't have a competitive model because of how much money certain schools have over the other ones. Well, I think uh, an indicator, and like I said, unless you're in the recruiting meetings like I have been, and, and, and uh, you understand the packages, though the schools I allowed 
I don't think to get involved with the financial packages, but uh, obviously for Texas A&M to jump that far ahead of Alabama and Georgia and LSU and Oklahoma and Iowa State in in, in one year, they just didn't beat Georgia and and Alabama by a small margin. It's the largest in the history since they've been taken. The, the the ratings and the data that they go to to declare the number one class. There's huge separation, so uh, it would be disingenuous to think that uh, money did not did not play a factor. A coach for a lot of schools, uh, a large portion of the class is signed before Christmas, uh, and and I think a lot of people still remember, of course, the hectic nature of uh, National Signing Day, the first Wednesday in February. Do you are you in favor of the early signing period? Yeah, you know, I, I liked it. Uh, I can remember back in in, in the early uh, mid early seventies when they used when they had the early signing days. Uh, I'd just gotten into coaching. Then they disbanded it and didn't pick it up a few years ago. So I thought it would really do a lot to uh, to eliminate some of the recruiting finances because once a guy commits, you don't have to keep recruiting. You can actually save some money. But the the end the uh, the transfer portal has made every day a signing day. You know, starting about six or eight months, uh, you know, into the before signing date. So, uh, uh, the, the early signing date, I think, has taken a backseat to the transfer portal. <laughs> that's a, that's another whole area that's, that in, indirectly involves recruiting and signing dates. I mean, coach, from your time at Clemson, your time at Tulane, is there a, is there a recruit or a recruiting visitor story that stands out most to you during, especially with a national signing day being here today? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple. One of them involves well involves Dabo, and uh, when Dabo first, you know, I hired him because he was a great recruiter, and he is. He's he's proven that to be a fact. But I can remember he was just on my staff. He was recruiting a wide receiver, Jacksonville, Florida. I recruit the guy. I forget the guy's name. I believe Michael Loxley was at recruit at Florida, coach, coaching the running backs, and then him and Dabo locked horns on a on a guy, and Dabo had him committed. He was solid as could be. I talked to him on. On the phone, we had a visit with him, and all of a sudden, that daggone, I think Ron Zook was the head coach at Florida. Michael Loxley got that receiver over from Jacksonville down to their house. The Super Bowl was that Sunday before signing day. It was earlier back back in those days. And uh, and that guy, they, they turned him, and he would not take Dabo's phone call Sunday night. He, we tried to get him on Monday night. We tried to get him on. He was, I mean, he was just visibly shaken. And I said, listen, you stay in this profession long enough, that's not going to be the first one It's going to be like that. But I can remember how upset he was to lose that guy. He just thought he had it. And then the other one was that linebacker Antonio Clay out of Georgia that committed to Alabama, committed to Georgia, committed to Oklahoma. Every, every, every visit he went, he just couldn't say no, committed to us. And then I told him uh, Tuesday night, do not, about 11, 12 o'clock at night, do not, do not take a phone call in the morning. But promise me, you will not take a phone call. And he took Bob Stoops' phone call. He was supposed to sign at 7. We had a ride for him. Everything lined up. And, and uh, that, that thing, he didn't sign at 7. He didn't sign at 8. He didn't sign at 9 or 10. We couldn't find him. Nobody could find him. And then, of course, Bob Stoops had turned him, but we turned him back. And, uh, gosh, I can remember conversations 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. It's just there's so many of them when, when the rules were like they used to be. Wow, that's I mean that's truly and again I can only imagine coach you sit there and talk to a young man for six eight months obviously it goes longer than that but you get down to one or two days left 
How good did you feel about most of your signing classes? Where was that Tulane or Clemson? Was it just a guy or two, or was it, hey, if I don't have the paper, it, 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 who knows? It's usually just one, one or two guys, and and unfortunately, they're usually the most heavily recruited, <laughs> most wanted guys. You know, those are the guys everybody everybody wants the best players, the same players. And then when you get into a recruiting battle with really really great players, you're facing the top schools. But it usually only comes down to one and two, uh, one or two guys. And the daggone guy that my that I had committed and everything up there in South Carolina that my father turned on Wednesday morning, got him to sign their paper and our paper. Then it was a rush to see which paper got the conference offers first. That was the one they were going to take. And, uh, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's usually one or two guys, but they're really, really usually good players. And uh, they, they can really make or break a recruiting year for you. Coach, I was going to ask you, when you were at uh, Clemson, your dad was at Florida State. How many times were you recruiting head-to-head with your dad? Well, a, a good bit, and I lost them all early because they were the Clemson uh, of, of, of today. Uh, back then, they were the Clemson of today, and you couldn't hardly get them. He would come up in South Carolina and steal our players, the best players you'd get. And, and uh, I remember going in those homes with Brad Scott and some of these other coaches. We'd do the best we could. They were just winning so many games back then. But uh, we had a lot of battles then. Uh, they beat us the first four. Then we won the last four out of five. Then once you start beating them, you can turn them. But, man, it, it, it took a couple of years to be able to do that. And uh, But but I had plenty of head-to-head battles with him. And, Coach, how rewarding is it? I mean, you uh, you know, you out there on the battlefield trying to be able to get these recruits. You end up getting these guys. and You watch them, you know, you watch their careers blossom, and they hugging you like crazy on senior night saying, Coach, thank you. Because for most of these, for most of these young men, even including myself, this is an opportunity of a lifetime, and a lot of times we don't know what it is until it's actually coming to an end. Yeah, you know, and, and what's made it so hard now is you have to recruit them just about once they sign. It used to be over once they sign. That was it. Man, you could, you could relax. Now with the transfer portal, you have to recruit them every day, every year. You have to recruit them. And, man, you just hate it after a game if a certain receiver didn't get so many touches or catches or a back didn't get so many touches or a defensive back didn't get so many daggone uh, uh, plays that you had promised them as a nickel back or whatever. And then you you have to recruit them now. You got to recruit them all year, and that just puts so much more stress and pressure on a coach. There's already enough on a coach, and now it's just added day to day with with the transfer portal. And it's certainly become uh, more twenty four seven than the than the games themselves. Uh, sometimes Tommy Bowden, our guest here on Three and Out, Coach, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, y'all enjoyed the day. Thank you. We'll do appreciate it. Tommy Bowden, joining us here on Three and Out, and and Ben, no. Uh, no late night uh, going back and forth. Were you pretty solid at the end of the end of the day, or did you have uh, Coach Spurrier sweating it out uh, there before you signed on National Signing Day? Nah, Coach Spurrier was sweating out, man. I was a tight end. I mean, he didn't even throw the ball <laughs> to the tight end. It wasn't no sweat. But I will, I will, I will say this though. I mean, uh, sometimes you know you you don't even realize how big of a recruit you are. Like I said, I mean, my high school didn't we did we weren't putting out big time players year in and year out, but. Billy, I mean, uh, you know, Jim Dunn did call me the night before, like the night before uh, uh, National Signing and the, and, the, and the next morning. Like, he called me. I'm like, like, hello? He's like, hey, Ben, man, how you? Because, look, when you look back on these things, right, it's easy to say, oh, you know, I mean, I'm just a tight end. But you don't realize that coaches are saying, look, man, we look at the type of player you could become. 
And obviously, it's easy to look at hindsight now and say, what happened, BJ, as far as like 2002? But what I'm saying is, that's what they're projecting. They're projecting the future and the present. So they're saying, could this dude be a person to help us or hurt us? So looking back on it, man, 2000 was obviously Coach Dunn's last year, and obviously 2001, you know, here come Margaret. So even if he were recruiting me, he up out of there. So who's to say if I would have went with him, I would have even been a Georgia Bulldog. I don't even know if I fit the system with Margaret. I had Spurrier for two years. So, hey, man, I think it all worked out. But Ben, hearing those stories from Tommy Bowden about, hey, you, you know, we had a commit and then uh, there was an in-home visit and then this happened. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what's it like when you're a student athlete? And I know you've talked about it. There is Tommy Bowden. There is Jim Donnan. There is Steve Spurrier. There is Lou Holtz. What's it like going through those visits? It, it's it's crazy because somewhere in people's mind, they think that, that my mental state is, is greater than somebody else. When I was 17 years old, man, my biggest decision was, am I going to wear a tie or a freaking bow, a bow tie or a cummerbund for the prom? I'm not, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a young boy, right? And I think, but then you look at your, you in your principal's office and that go, that go Jim Dunn and that go Lou Holtz, that go Tommy Bow, that go Steve Spurrier and they there to see me. So what I do, I got the hell up out of it. I left. I said, look, I'm gone. I don't know what to say to y'all, but I will say this, man. When you think about, when I think about how it all came to the front forefront, David Lamb, my head football coach, I owe him so much, man, because he took me to a Georgia camp. You know, he he spent his own money too, so he invested in me literally his money, time, and energy. So when you think about the people that behind the scenes, it's so many people, man. It really, really is. So to look back on it, 22 years ago. I had an option of, you know, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, Clemson, North Carolina, North Carolina State. And I look back on it now and I'm like, dude, that's not normal. Like, it was my normal, but that's not normal. So it's just humbling when I think about it, man, because like I said, out of all these rock star coaches right now, Steve Spurrier was the rock star. You know, back in 2000. So, and he gave me the shortest speech. I think it was nodding off when the freaking coaches were there at my house. But he was the best decision I could I could make, man. I'm just happy I had options and not just have to settle for anything. We got a lot to get to here on three and out. Speaking of those Florida Gators, Billy Napier, his first now full recruiting class uh, coming in. We'll chat with David Waters, Gators Breakdown. When we return here, it's three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Hey, this is Mike Hollis, the Jaguars' original place kicker, and you're listening to 3 and Out with BJ, Ben, and Kevin. Good to have you along here, 3 and Out, on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day, National Signing Day here upon us. And joining us here from Gators Breakdown, David Waters joins us here on 3 and Out. David, welcome to the show. How are you? Ooh, another signing day in the books. <laughs> well, what's the latest you can tell us from Billy Napier and the, and the folks there with the Florida Gator program? Yeah, you know, coming into the day, there was a lot of targets where Florida was going to be going up. What we thought was a lot of Florida LSU battles uh, coming into the day. Uh, and what you kind of have to maybe understand going in for Florida's class, first of all, he wasn't handed the best class, you know, taking over from Dan Mullen. Uh, to begin with, and, you know, that class had been ranked in the 70s at one point when Billy Napier's taken over. Uh, so it had some work to do, and they had some big signees, of course, on early signing day and getting uh, Kamari Wilson, Chris McClellan, Devin Moore, Shamar James in that early signing day. But had a lot of work to do, of course, uh, for national signing day today. There was a lot of what we thought Florida LSU battles, and you, you had um, Harold Perkins, number one linebacker in the country, and you had uh, – <clears throat> Uh, Trevante Citizen, uh, running back. They ended up committing to Miami today out of, out of nowhere. It looked like it was trending Florida, and if it wasn't going to be Florida, maybe it'd be LSU, but Miami comes through uh, at, at the last minute. And then also uh, Jacoby Matthews, who's the safety, looks like he probably actually would be committing to Texas A&M uh, later on tonight to bolster their class a little bit. So it looked like a bunch of Florida-LSU battles, and LSU are prospects that are coming from the state of Louisiana. Uh, and LSU is going through their coaching change. Florida is going through their coaching change. So you're looking at these battles here. But it was the big one about uh, around 4:30. The number one linebacker, Harold Perkins, as I mentioned, did commit to LSU uh, over Florida there. So uh, there's still you, you had these big targets that Florida and Billy Napier they had to go out of state for. You know, he takes over. I talked about the class was kind of in shambles, taking over from Dan Mullen, but. By the time he had taken over, there wasn't a lot of in-state talent in Florida left over. Uh, so he was going to have to use some connections to Louisiana, use some connections uh, that he had while he being the, the head coach of the, uh, of the Raging Cajuns. Uh, so it was going to be a tough task having to go out of the state of Florida to try and get some of the big names. And um, you know, truthfully, you know, that those were misses today. But that won't be the strategy moving forward as Billy Napier gets a whole year of working this 2023 class coming up. So, David, what was uh, uh, Billy Napier's recruiting philosophy, I guess, here in a in a limited uh, recruiting season? And what were the points of emphasis on the roster? Where did Florida uh, really address roster needs? Yeah, as I said, you know, him taking over in, in the early signing day and getting those big names, Wilson, Moore, and James. Um, so, right there on the defensive side of the ball, we've seen this Florida – defense the last couple of years just no, be nowhere near what you expect a Florida Gator defense to be. So Kamari Wilson, uh, a top uh, 40-ish player in the country back there at safety, you put him in that defensive backfield. Devin Moore, uh, top 200 player there, uh, another four-star uh, there at safety, maybe switching to cornerback for Florida as well. And then Shamar James, uh, top 100 player, one of the top linebackers in the country as well. So Florida went and focused on uh, this dates back to early signing day on defense and, and getting uh, those big names there. But also 
you needed some skill player talent. And as I said, mentioned Florida did miss on the Trevante Citizen, the running back out of Louisiana, but did get Trevor Etienne, Travis Etienne's little brother. Uh, he's a top 200 running back, a four-star uh, out there. Florida needs more playmakers at the running back position and a versatile playmaker as well, a guy that can help catch out of the backfield uh, as they're there. But that was one of those Louisiana connections that Billy, Billy Nathan was able to use. And it also did help uh, Etienne plays for the Jaguars, his older brother. Uh, so there was a chance to be close to him, to go to Gainesville, be not that far from Jacksonville. So that little pairing uh, helped work there together. But it was really mostly on the defensive side there. Uh, and trying to get those big names on early signing day and then still kind of using that Louisiana connection there to go get Trevor Etienne. I mean, David, I mean, that look, I mean, when it, coming into this uh, recruiting cycle, you talked about what uh, you know uh, what Coach Navy had up against him. People trying to act as if what he what he just did is a phenomenal. When you look at the fact that nobody's comparing this class to you know the top class in the country, but respectable is one thing. But then it's what David Waters did. Yeah, you lost out on some recruits, but you got some big time players in a very very short span when everybody else been recruiting these guys for sometimes years. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the two big ones there, you know, Kamari Wilson and Shamar James, uh, Kamari Wilson going into early signing day, dating back to that, was thought to be going to Georgia. Uh, and, and, and part of that secondary class that was a really good secondary class to Georgia would have been even better had Kamari Wilson uh, went for there. So not only did you get a good player, you kept him from Georgia. Florida's going to have to win a lot more of those battles coming up. Uh, so you hopefully you go back to that one and say, okay, there's something we can point to to say maybe uh, you know, so Florida will hopefully win some more of those battles uh, if you're Florida and trying to get some of the best talent in the country. It's Jamar James. It was going to be a uh, Florida-Alabama-Georgia battle there and dating back uh, to early signing day and getting him uh, on the fold as well on the defensive side. So Florida needed big names. They needed big names that you were going up against Alabama. You were going up against Georgia. Now, like I said, Florida in, in the 2023, and the focus is going to have to be winning a lot more of those battles. You, know, you have to win those type of battles if Florida wants to be in that conversation of being in an SEC championship game on a consistent basis, playing in a national championship or a college football playoff on a consistent basis. So there were some early signs there on early signing day, not so much today on national signing day. Uh, but as I said, Florida had to go out of state for those big names. There was just no in-state big targets left for Florida. So that strategy – it had to be for this cycle. It won't be for the next cycle. And you talk about winning those battles, David, and we've talked to a number of guys today on on the show about having to win those recruiting battles when you look at, okay, let's say you have a top 20 class in, in recruiting. A lot of people say, man, that's pretty good, until you look at the top 20 and say, like, seriously, 11 or 12 of those could be from the SEC, and the top three – the top three have put a gap between themselves and everybody else in A&M, Georgia, and Bama. How, how many battles do you got to win to close that gap? Obviously, Billy Napier's up to the task, but when you're looking at it from a Florida or an Auburn or uh, a, an Ole Miss, how do you close that gap? Yeah, I mean, you, you, there's, you have, for Florida, they at least over those other schools have the state of Florida to, to be able to bounce back on. You know, Auburn – They'll have to go out of state for their, for, for their talent. Texas A&M, they can stay in Texas. Georgia, they can mostly stay in Georgia. Alabama, they have that just southeast recruiting presence, national recruiting presence, actually. You know, so they're, they're, they're just kind of in there. At least Florida has Florida to fall back on. That's been the biggest um, the, the detractor of these recent recruiting classes dating back to Dan Mullen is not being able to 
uh, get the guys in state. So, like I said, if we go back to early signing day and, and get Devin Moore in state and get, keeping him there, Kamari Wilson, those, those, those big battles, those were in-state Florida battles that Billy Napier uh, went and got of guys that were left uh, there to go get. Uh, there wasn't many of those targets left, but now there are. You know, you, now you have a year to go get those relationships in the state of Florida. Go get to know the coaches. Go get to know the players in the state of Florida a bit. So for Florida, it really is just doing much better in state to close that gap versus Georgia, close that gap versus Alabama. Because the, the, those two schools, they're, they're used to coming in and getting the top athletes in the state of Florida. So that is the biggest thing Billy Napier has to fix. We were, we were, we were not going to get that answer in his 2022 class. We'll get that answer in, in 2023. And if, he, and if that class is a, is a top 10 class, you can best bet it's because Florida went and got a lot of the top state of Florida kids. David, uh, after Billy Napier was hired, you saw Florida really uh, uh, add to the infrastructure staff uh, in terms of football, football recruiting. Is that uh, – how important was that for the Gators? And is that – uh, the modern status quo for college football where, yes, you have to have coaching staff, but you have to have a you know big-time recruiting and infrastructure staff as well. Yeah, you have to. And he knows that. He learned that from Dabo. He learned that from Saban. Uh, in his time there, he built one of the largest staffs in the group of five level, and you saw that pay off at, at Louisiana and the Sun Belt. So bringing that model uh, to Florida as well, and it was kind of a funny story. Said somebody uh, on a recent visit, a family was on a recent visit, and it said, like, they just – Kept coming. Like staff members just, they just had them in closets. Every time they turned around, uh, here come a new staff member. Here comes somebody they've never seen before. Uh, and it's going to have to. You know, Billy Napier, he wants to build. He said, "Build the army." That's is what he describes it as. And it's just so basically, your your coaches, your your main assistant coaches, they're not doing all the work. They're not doing all the work. The, the assistants have assistants, and that really just helps. Uh, bring along everybody. Everybody kind of gets a break. Uh, once one, when one person needs a break, that you know, mental, go spend some family time. There's still somebody else working, and they report back to the coach. So you know, it's the infrastructure that he learned from Saban, uh, and he's going to bring it to, to Florida. Florida did not have that uh, before. And you, know, you sit there, you take what you can from the best, and that's going to be one thing that's going to be different at Florida is hiring just so many. It's about up to 50 staff members right now, counting on field coaches, counting analysts, counting quality control guys. And that's just, you know, the path to being able to meet high level recruiting. And David, one thing uh, that Billy Napier said, he they asked him, you know, what's one thing you, you found out out there on the recruiting trail? He said that a lot of kids you know, want to come play at the University of Florida. I think a day like today kind of proves that. I mean, going back to early sign today, you know, with Kamari and those guys, but when you look at the job he's done in 60 days, not just with the staff, not just embracing NIL, but he's getting those guys that's going to help him get back to kind of uh, competing for SEC East titles and getting back to Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, look, Ben, we, we know part of the issue uh, under Dan Mullen was recruiting was just nowhere near where it was supposed to be. Uh, you're supposed to be able to recruit better. It's, it's not that hard. Yeah, uh, you know, granted, it, it is hard going against Alabama and, and Georgia and Ohio State and Clemson and those guys coming in and getting your state, but it's not supposed to be. Uh, that hard. If you're doing your job right, it's, you know, Florida, a lot of Florida recruiting can take care of itself. People, kids do want to play for Florida, and you know, there's no moral victories in recruiting or whatever. And like I said, Florida didn't miss on, on, on some guys today, but those are kids they never would have even been in the conversation for 
under the previous staff. Billy Napier's put, them, put, put the hat on the table, has Florida in the conversation. You hope that translates to when he now he has a full year with his 2023 class. And bump classes, those second classes for a new, a new head coach are so important in building a foundation for, for success. And we see it. We, we see it all too often. Uh, it, success uh, with new coaches is because of that second recruiting class. So he's laid the groundwork. He's laid the foundation. He's building that army. Like you said, Ben, kids want to play at Florida. Billy Napier just now is going to go out there and, and put, uh, you know, put, 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 put all that into action. Break down our guest here on a three and out. David, appreciate the time. Thanks much. Thank you, guys. David Waters joining us here on three and out. As again, National Signing Day is upon us. We'll step aside. We'll come back. We'll hear some comments from Clay Helton. Clay Helton uh, really doing well in his first go round uh, there in recruiting for Georgia Southern, including. A big-time signee today, one that is, at least according to the services, the best recruit they've ever had. We'll get to that next. It's 3 now on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Hey, this is L.A. Ramsey from Georgia Southern. You're listening to 3 and Out with B.J. Ben and Kevin. Great to be here on this Wednesday, Kevin B.J. and Ben. Good to have you here on 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also catch us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Go to our YouTube channel at ESPN Coastal, and you can watch the show or catch any portion you may have missed throughout the day. And again, Tommy Bowden joining us earlier today on the program. Also, Dane Young, UGASports.com, Mark Passwaters, AggieYell.com, and just chatted with David Waters. So a number of guys talking recruiting here on the show today. And BJ up in Statesboro. A big day for Clay Hilton. We'll hear from him in just a, just a moment, but obviously his first go-through has yet to coach a game, had the early signing period where he could go out and get some things done. But today, when you talk about the back end of recruiting now with the National Signing Day, you go out today and you, bit, you get Terrence Gibbs. He's a four-star running back who, out there today at his press conference, put a hat that said Florida on it, had a hat that had Florida State on it, had a hat that had Texas on it. Had a hat that had Georgia Southern on it. And out of those hats, he picked Georgia Southern. Four-star running back. Comes to Statesboro. Highest rated recruit per 247 to ever commit and sign with Georgia Southern. I'm not going to say, hey, he's the best player ever. Adrian Peterson. Tracy Ham, Those guys are legendary players. But in terms of recruiting rankings since 2000, when they've kept track of recruiting rankings, this is the highest recruited guy, Terrence Gibbs, that Georgia Southern has ever had. Yeah, very impressive, and and a very impressive class overall. I mean, Clay Helton, uh, when that hire was made, that was a hire that I think uh, turned heads around the country. You're talking about a head coach that was at Southern Cal for an extended period of time, had success, had very successful appearances uh, or uh, season stretches at, at at Southern Cal, had a had a uh, successful overall record and. I think a head coach at a number of programs around the country, Power Five, we're, we're looking at, and comes to Georgia Southern. Uh, you're talking about a head coach with national appeal. You're talking about a head coach with proven credentials that not only has won, won big games, played in big games, but has helped a number of players get to the National Football League, uh, uh, has, has a really strong reputation as an offensive mind, a guy that uh, has productive offenses and has the stats and the records to prove that uh, during his time as a coach, his time at Southern Cal. And I think there's a lot of excitement, and I think there are opportunities uh, to come in and play. And look, Georgia Southern has high expectations. You're in the Sun Belt. You expect to win championships. You expect to be in the national top 25. You look at the future schedules coming up in addition to the Sun Belt expanding and that league only getting better. A lot of people believe it's the best you know, it's the best G5 league out there. You're talking about big-time non-conference schedules. So, Georgia Southern, a program with remarkable history. I mean, one of the most incredible histories in college football. Iconic, all-time great players. Like you said, Adrian Peterson, Tracy Ham, Jason Foster. And a chance to be a part of that tradition is, I think, something that a lot of student-athletes are looking at and saying, hey, I could be the next star in Statesboro. I could come help this team win a championship in Statesboro. And... Uh, Clay Helton has had a lot of success on the recruiting trail, not surprising. Uh, but you talk about bringing in a running back that had offers from Florida and Florida State. Was actually committed and, to Florida at one point. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, that is that is, that is big time. And I think you're going to see Georgia Southern move forward with a lot of momentum on the field and on the recruiting trails. But I think given that anytime you have a coaching change, you're talking about not having the full sort of, I mean, Ben said it, it's a multi-year process. Sure. 
even for one recruiting class. You may sign as a part of the class of 2022, but coaches have been recruiting you for a couple of years, evaluating films. So to come in uh, uh, kind of a short recruiting period, a short recruiting season, and have this class, uh, I, I just think there's a lot to be excited about uh, with what Georgia Southern's done. Certainly is, and again, uh, this commitment to special teams, I know it's an insignificant thing as it, as it may seem, but got the number four long snapper as part of a special teams package. Special and, teams you at Georgia Yeah, Southern. special teams, everybody thinks it's funny till they, they don't execute, and then you're like, what? Got, a, got one of the best to, uh, to do it coming out of high school into, uh, into the program today as well, and uh, Clay Helton a little while ago addressed the media. Here's some of his uh, opening comments about this class at Georgia Southern. Excited uh, about the newcomers that we're introducing today. You know, last when we talked in December, we had welcomed 20 new Eagles to our family. Today, we bring in six other newcomers that we'll talk about. Obviously, uh, those six, one of them you already know from uh, already being on campus uh, is quarterback Kyle Vantrese from Buffalo. The other five new additions are wide receiver Jeremy Singleton from the University of Houston, uh, cornerback Shamari Wingard from Elon, uh, two big defensive linemen in Latrell Bullard and El Haj Fall, and a terrific running back out of the state of Florida, Terrence Gibbs, who well, I think will end up being one of the highest ranked players in the history of the program uh, as a recruit. So really excited about bringing these six newcomers in also. As you look at this class, um, you look at 26 new additions, 26 new additions, and a couple takeaways from it. I think it's one, an extremely balanced class, 13 offensive players, 13 defensive players that really fit needs for our football team going into the 22 season. Um, it was a class where we didn't sacrifice our future. I see a lot of teams that are out there really diving into the portal so much. And we really believe in development here, and especially development uh, in the state of Georgia with high school players. So as you break down this class, you're looking at 22 high school players, uh, four transfers that really kind of fit needs for us. You know, putting in a new offensive system, uh, we decided to go out and get an uh, a, a experienced quarterback from Buffalo. Uh, and Kyle bring in an additional experienced receiver uh, with Jeremy from Houston. Uh, in losing C.J. Wright on the defensive line to the NFL, uh, we decided to bring in an interior player, uh, defensive lineman, uh, in this in this class with Christian Varner. And then, you know, obviously going to a new defensive system that has a ton of nickel packages in it. We've brought in another cover uh, cover guy in Shamari uh, Wingard. Um, out of the 22 high school players, uh, we really stay true to the state of Georgia. I mean, you're looking at 19 of these signees are right here from the state of Georgia. And one of the things that we kind of found in going through this process is how so many Georgia players are getting overlooked. I think for really two cases. I think a lot of teams are going uh, within the portal, uh, but also, you know, due to COVID, I, I think the amount of camps that didn't go on and and really events recruiting events that didn't go on there was a lot of kids that are, are really hidden in the state and a tremendous amount of talent and it was we looked at that talent and how well coached they are and how college ready they are we're so proud to welcome 19 of georgia's sons right here to this great university about it with with david waters about florida what do you want to do you want to win guys in your own state and you can say well is, is georgia southern going to win battles with georgia you know, no but you still want to keep guys. I mean, it, again, BJ, you know this. this is one of the most uh, heavily recruited states in America. Keeping guys in state is huge for everybody. At no matter where, where you're at, if you're playing Sun Belt football, you don't think 
Sunbelt schools are coming in here. App State is not coming. Oh, they, they are, yes. They are, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Coastal Carolina is coming in and, and stealing players. Uh, Georgia State is also in the state of Georgia in your conference. So it is one of those things where you have got to go out and recruit the best from the state of Georgia and keep those kids in the state. And it sounds like Clay Helton did that. And, and the ones he went out of state to get are really, really good. Uh, you, you know, so you kept the good players at home, went out of state for some uh, some kind of big hitters to, to help out your program. But, uh, again, Clay Helton already starting off with kind of that focused mission of, you know, we want to recruit the state of Georgia, we're going to improve the talent of the team, address needs in the portal, and with the new system, who knows? I, I think they'll be one of the most intriguing teams when you get to Sunbelt Media Days because if you think you know how Georgia Southern is going to finish, I, I don't think you do. I don't, I don't think it was necessarily because of talent. They they weren't in a better position. They had some things that happened that cost them some ball games. I think people might be surprised uh, with Clay Helton coming up in 2022. Well, and you know some notes from the press conference comments. Uh, 13 players on offense, 13 players on defense. And I'm always interested to see how recruiting classes develop from a positional point of emphasis standpoint where are you going and getting – you know, multiple offensive linemen? Are you really looking at playmakers? Do you need help in the secondary? And Coach Helton talked about balance there. And then the transfer portal is such an interesting dynamic. Uh, you know, how do you how do you weigh the potential of sure. a guy that has college experience against uh, talent development? And the majority of Georgia Southern's class, when you look at what happened today and then the early signing period, is developing high school talent. And went out and got some important transfers. You know, important transfers, including a quarterback. But he said, look, we really want to have a focus on uh, most of our roster, most of our incoming class being high school players that we can develop within our system from the state of Georgia for multiple years. So you got some important transfers that are going to help, that are going to play right away. I think that's always something you see, especially when you have uh, coaching change and turnover and maybe you're bringing a new system in, but uh, a real high priority placed on in-state high school talent for Coach Helton and his staff. Uh, certainly, and again, he said, you need a quarterback, went out and got a quarterback in the transfer portal. And so you, at some of your bigger positions of need, you were able to address that immediately and, as you said, get some guys that you'll be able to turn around and develop. So really big day there in Statesboro for Georgia Southern. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com.
Hey, this is John Stinchcomb, and you're listening to 3 and Out with BJ, Ben, and Kevin. Good to have you here, 3 and Out, on this Wednesday, National Signing Day. And again, colleges everywhere talking about uh, how wonderful their class is, and everybody's going to be a star and win a national championship uh, at the end of the day. But it is really a fun day, BJ. I know you've said this a lot. It's 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 not about the fans uh, as much as it is about the the players, the moms, yes, the dads, yes, yes. who sit back and say, look, this is something that you've worked hard for. Some cases, not everybody. I mean, we talk to people and say, hey, I didn't try playing football until I was 10, but it's still a dream to go out and move on to uh, to the next level. And congratulations to all the young men who are able to do that. And, again, the parents who can sit back and say, look, dreams uh, moving forward uh, continue for, for their son. Some cases, full rides. Some cases, partial scholarships, what have you. Still, uh, money for college, getting that thing taken care of, it's still a, uh, a big, big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And a chance to play college football. Uh, what an opportunity. These are opportunities that have been – Uh, earn years, you know, years in the making when you think about what you've done on the field, what you've done off the field, what you've done uh, in the classroom. And uh, just congratulations to all of the student athletes, their families, the coaches, the programs. Uh, It's great to see. And I think uh, when we were uh, trying to kind of get a sense for uh, who was going to sign where yesterday, Christian said there are going to be dozens of players who signed from the 912 on National Signing Day. And we have seen that. It's awesome. Uh, Great to see so many a student athlete sign, and as you pointed out, I think this is important to to remember. This is just the first day, so you go back to the early signing period, which you had before Christmas. I think for a lot of the programs like Georgia and Florida, and you see the majority of those classes filled. But even if you didn't sign today, uh, there will still be opportunities all the way up through fall camp. So you may see more student athletes have scholarship offers and chances to sign, chances to play tomorrow, next week. Uh, so keep that in mind. But but just great to see. Uh, it's a great day to see so many student-athletes get these opportunities and uh, earn these opportunities and make the most of these opportunities. So uh, it's just just awesome, and the 912 representing in a big way. Certainly a lot of uh, recruiting stuff for, to digest from today. you got a little basketball uh, tonight. For folks listening against Vanda, Georgia and Arkansas tonight on the hardwood. Certainly uh, ESP Radio going to be talking a lot about Brian Flores over the coming days and uh, how that is shaping and reshaping and changing the National Football League discussion, uh, BJ. So certainly that story is not going, I, I would imagine that's going to be the story leading into the Super Bowl. Maybe if you're Joe Burrow and the Bengals and their magical run of the Rams, you take away from that. But to me, this is going to be the dominating story uh, throughout Super Bowl week. No, and rightfully so. I, I think this is going to be looked back on, hopefully, as, a, as, as something that changed, you know, you know created more opportunities uh, for for black head coaches, for minority head coaches, but a bombshell report, uh, just uh, uh, so much to process there, and uh, you know, very courageous of, of of Brian Flores to uh, come out and say, hey, this is what's wrong. We have to address it. And uh, a what a fifty four page class action lawsuit. Well, it's not. No, it's and, not. It is. I don't think it is a class, class action. It could be, could be. a class yes, action suit. So you, you obviously need more people to come in on on the lawsuit and join that there. But we've got more to come on that uh, later this week. We'll see you tomorrow. Three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio.